Hello and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. I'm Alex. I'm Julio, and thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Help promote the algorithm and spread the word. You can also find us on SoundCloud to subscribe and review. And don't forget to visit our main website, wearethecontrarians.com. Follow us on Twitter at Contrarian Prime. And to like us on Facebook, visit facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. And if you have the willpower to keep up with our pretentious ramblings, you can follow us individually at Contrarian Alex for myself and at Avnio for Julio. That's O-V-N-I-O. Now, time for the podcast. Right, and we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I am going to call this Spider-Man universe so many times throughout this. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, it's just too much. I can't do it. Uh, And we're lucky that I'm able to read my notes uh, after the several epileptic seizures that were induced (laughs) watching this movie. I'm I'm already ranting here and haven't even gotten to our intro. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. My name is Alex. Joined, as always, by my co-host and friend, cohort Julio. Julio, we are joined by a special guest today, returning to the Contrarians podcast. Yes, hopefully you'll remember the movie that we're doing with him a year from now. Unlike uh, his last appearance, The Contrarians, he joined us for Mute, a movie that you've completely erased from your brain, Alex. Paul Rudd's mustache and the screaming underwater is literally all I remember from that when I try to muster up any bit of knowledge, activate the schema regarding mute, and all that comes up is a folder that says file missing with the icon being Paul Rudd's mustache. This time, it's not a movie that's uh, a Netflix exclusive, a Netflix original. This time we we broaden our our scope so that our good friend Dan Brennick from Netflix and Swill is not limited to Netflix. This time, we went to a different interest of his, an interest that he shares with me, maybe a little bit with you, Alex. Dan and I are big Spider-Man fans. Yes. uh, Yeah, I'm a white guy who is a nerd, so whenever I saw Spider-Man, you know, the Tobey Maguire version, I just went, oh, that's me, and then really identified with him. So, yeah, I became a (laughs) Spider-Man fan. That's all it takes, Sometimes yeah. you don't even have to be a white guy. It was like I'm, I'm a Peruvian guy, and I I saw him and I was like, I want to be that guy. I want to be the white guy dressed in in webs. <laughs> but yeah, that's welcome, Dan. Welcome again. Pretty excited, and like we we're saying just before uh, we started recording, very apropos since that uh, this is our our last episode before the live stream for the Cure, which you are you're a big part of. So we'll be talking about that later on the show, in the second mm-hmm. half. It's fitting in many ways. We bring Dan back onto the podcast right before live stream for the Cure. We bring him back on here to uh, attempt, in some aspects, redeem the the previous outing with Mute, and then also Spider Man. He had mentioned the original Tobey Maguire one. Gentlemen, uh, I'm not sure if you know this. We just passed the 19 year mark of that movie uh, on Monday, on May 3rd, 2002. The first Sam Raimi Tobey Maguire Spider Man was released. So all timely here, what we're doing. Yeah, Th- that's exactly why we planned this. We knew <laughs> 19 years of uh, Tobey Maguire Spider Man. I'm so old. 
And while Spider-Man universe, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, the non-Netflix original, despite what some may think, uh, did not make the near billion dollars that the original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man did. It did well for itself, bringing in almost $400 million. I have been so tuned out and turned off by the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe thing that I just now am at the point where I assume all this shit is related. And Dan, when we first did this, I didn't even ask Julio. I just assumed until I think it was our last episode where we weren't recording and I asked, you know, where does this fit in into the scope of everything? So um, this is a one-off. Now, are there other ones like this in <laughs> recent years or is this just kind of in a literal sense a one-off? It's really a one-off. They're working, of course, it made $400 million. A sequel is coming. But uh, yeah. with the amount of time and thoroughness they put into animation for this movie, uh, 2022 is my best guess. Yeah, I mean, excellent. Also, I guess you could count stuff like uh, the other Sony properties, like uh, Venom. You know, so it's not related mm-hmm. to the MCU, uh, and I guess the upcoming Morbius movie with uh, Jared Leto. Mm-hmm. If you're into that, no. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the Venom movie. I've seen the Venom movie. It has no correlation to anything else in the. I'm not going to see Tom Hardy and um, Robert Downey Jr. Well, I guess he's dead. <laughs> um, I don't know. Fucking. I'm not going to see Anthony Mackie Venom, Venom and Benedict Benedict Cumberbatch interact. They're they're not in the same plane of existence, is what what I'm hearing. I mean, they could cast Benedict Cumberbatch as something else in Venom, but yeah, as Doctor yeah. Strange, it it's extremely unlikely. Okay, well, see, I'm learning stuff, new stuff here. Not that I particularly care to, but I'm learning it. <laughs> If this is your first time tuning into The Contrarians, thank you for doing so. Uh, I'm assuming Dan's going to pop a big rating for us, so I'm looking forward to oh, seeing what yeah, you Oh, yeah, you know me, Mr. Everyone Listens to My Podcast. The John Moxley of the podcasting realm right now, when he's on, you know you're going to go over at least one million. So <laughs> Dan is joining us here on The Contrarians, and on The Contrarians, Julio and myself like to rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine, as we say. We find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated, a lot of times boastfully so, known as Certified Fresh. And bring it down to reality, take it down a few notches and point out some of the things that maybe critics and viewers alike overlooked in praising it. Uh, On the other side of the coin, find a movie that is rotten, as it's known, one of those nasty green splotches, lowly, typically shoot for about 30% and below. uh, And then we'll make a case for the positive merit in a film like that. Uh, Most recently... Tango and Cash uh, got the contrarian's treatment, and (laughs) we celebrated the absurdity of it all. Julio, that covers the first portion of our podcast, Contrarian's Corner. If listeners want to know how you, myself, and Dan feel about Spider-Man universe, they just have to hang around for the second half. That's correct. Once we get to the second half of the show, real talk, we will express our true feelings. Long gone, the gimmick. We will tell you how we feel about the movie. We already said that we're Spider-Man fans. That doesn't mean that we're fans of this movie. Maybe, right. be, maybe because we're Spider-Man fans, we we have issues with uh, with this this new kid, this Miles Morales, whoever he thinks he is, some punk. Yeah, and I'm curious also, Alex, about your take. It sounds like maybe you liked it, but also it also could be just that you like it better than the MCU in general. That doesn't mean that that you actually like it. So look forward to real talk. As we learned in our Endgame episode, my appreciation and enjoyment of the MCU wavers greatly. It's like a seismograph during an, an, an earthquake, I tell you. So we'll see uh, how this measures up in response. I mean, uh, I believe it's the only 
Marvel movie we've done to win the Oscar in its field, being that it won Best Animated Features. So it's obviously highly touted, not just from a critic, uh, the award bodies, excuse me, but critics also, as it stands at 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. So uh, up there in the upper echelon, uh, what uh, were critics and people like yourself, Julio, squealing like Millhouse about when this movie came out? <laughs> 97% Alex and it's almost 400 reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Um grabbed, good god. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was just scrolling through my phone. Um I messed up my Simpsons reference there. It would have been squealing like Ned Flanders. I just had the glasses in my head. Uh, but Ned shrieks when he sees purple drapes at the home he's trying to buy and that's just kind of what I imagine you like in the theater when all the Spider-Men came out here, so. Okay. What what were they saying? We'll start with CJ Shu from Review Film Review who says, believe the hype. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is both the best animated film of 2018 and the best Spider-Man film ever. And to that I say, The Incredible Stu and Andrew Garfield have something they would like to say. I mean, 1967 Spider-Man also has something to say. <laughs> Nicholas Hammond. Next, Kelechi Ehenulo from Set the Tape says, universally it's approach by leaving a beaming smile across your face. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse beautifully reminds you why you love Spider-Man in the first place. Is it that you love him because he's a loser? Do you love him because he's fat? Do you love him because he's dead? <laughs> Do you love him because was, he's not I Peter Parker? I was going to say, it's because he's dead. Because I am dead inside, just like Peter Parker. Although he is also dead on the outside, too. Yeah, it's about to say, that. does it remind you of it? We go from like a white guy and his... Wait, how old was Peter Parker when he became Spider-Man? I always think of the 20s just because of Tobey Maguire. He was like also 14. a teenager, right? Yeah, like, yeah, around 14, 15. Okay, so Miles isn't too far off. Yeah, well, they, in in this movie, they, the different timelines have different ages for Peter Parker, right? Because he's 26 in the Miles timeline, but he's older in the fat Spider-Man <laughs> timeline. Yeah, in the Jake Johnson timeline. Yes, the new girl Spy Spider Man, and we'll close. And if that with... doesn't get you, Porky Pig will. <laughs> uh, we'll close with Mark Cassidy from ComicBookMovie.com, who says, "Spectacular, amazing, astonishing. Whatever Spidey-related adjective you choose, it will fit." And to that, I say, "How about woke? Is this <laughs> the woke Spider Man? We shall see." No, notice how he doesn't say superior. Oh, see, not a true fan. Not a true fan. We, we're on to you, Mark Cassidy. From comicbookmovie.com. So he, he even has comic book on the title. For shame. Probably one of those freelancers that, uh, you know, <laughs> they just they just bring him in. He's like, ah, cool, paycheck. Awesome. <laughs> you couldn't find one review that celebrated Lily Tomlin voicing in an animated movie? I mean, come on now. She's, she's too far down on the credits. Do you know, Alex, and this is just like a, a glimpse into real talk. Do you know Oscar Isaac is in this movie? Yeah, I, I read that. He he's that's like the post credits guy, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you stick around for the post credits? I, it's a Marvel movie, Julio. Pavlov's dogs. I've been conditioned for these. I things. am I know so I proud of you because that's <laughs> yeah, at the very very end. <laughs> we had to shoehorn in meme humor into the movie, so I'm glad <laughs> I did hang around for it. Uh, yeah, I'm sure if you search his 400 reviews, one of them would talk about Lily Tomlin and. Move over I Heart Huckabees or something like that. <laughs> so Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse uh, had a trifecta of directors, a, a triad of 
Bob Perschietti, Peter Ramsey, and Rodney Rothman, who is coming back to us very quickly. Um, Dan, our last episode was the 2013 family comedy grudge match starring Sylvester Stallone and uh, Robert De Niro, and it was actually written uh, by Mr. Rothman. So, oh, no. <laughs> he went from that to uh, being a part of the group that directed this. The screenplay by uh, Rodney Rothman and Phil Lord released, uh, fittingly, almost like Grudge Match, as a Christmas release, December 14th, 2018, with a budget of $90 million. Okay. And uh, as we mentioned, a triumphant box office return of nearing $400 million. It focuses around New York City teenager Miles uh, Morales as he struggles to live up to the expectation of his New York Police Department father. And, um, I, I mean, right away, it's just teenage angst. is, uh, Or excuse me, not teenage angst right away. It's epilepsy first. And then we get the previously on Spider-Man which is a reoccurring theme throughout it. But they do make a, a, a point here in the opening to catch you up on Spider-Man, catch you up on Peter Parker. And they ensure that they get a dig in Spider-Man 3 in here. I mean, right away is just assuming, it's going after the lowest hanging fruit and assuming the lowest common denominator. Everyone makes fun of Spider-Man 3. And if you want me to think you're trying something new, the first thing you should not do is make fun of Spider-Man 3. Right. Well, also, it, it's it's a little bit like uh, like whenever we talk about Joker and we're like, why would you make people think of the king of comedy? You know, because you all instantly force the comparison to a better movie. Same thing here. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's not even Spider-Man 3. They make the mistake of reminding you of all the cool stuff in the Raimi trilogy, right? You have the mm -hmm. upside down kiss and you have the, the, the thing with the train. It was like... The, the car coming through the window. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So it's, it's like you're already making me... Are they so like confident that they they're telling you you thought that was cool wait till you see what we're gonna do or were they really like so foolish to think that that was that stuff was lame it's like hey remember the bad spider-man movies <laughs> here's ours so it's 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 a it's a loose loose proposition because it, it, they can't compete with raimi for one it's animation i'm sorry you can't compete with live action that's just how it goes right. and then Facts. on top of that on top of that it's not the same these three guys make up maybe a third of Sam Raimi's talent, like, altogether. So, yeah, no no competition. Dan, did you see this movie in the theater? Uh, I actually saw this as a preview screening. Uh, one of the very few preview screenings I got. I saw, like, PlayStation, because I spend way too much money on Sony products. Uh, <laughs> they sent me a thing like, hey, go see this movie for free. I'm like, cool. So I saw it on, like, December 2nd, 2018. So I was, like, one of the first people in the world to actually watch it, and... Uh, let me tell you, walking out of the theater, massive disappointment. Just the stone face of sadness stuck on my face. And I was I, I could not have been more sad to be a Spider-Man fan. December 2nd, uh, 2018. Julio, I, I assume you screened this? Uh, no, no, no. I And I don't know why. Well, actually, I do know why. Uh, because I, I am not a fan. And this is well documented everywhere on my social media. I'm not a fan of Lord and Miller. Most famously, the, the people behind the Lego movie. So when I heard that uh, that Lord and Miller were behind a Spider-Man movie, I was not excited about it. And so I kind of, this is one of those movies I ended up watching because I was like, well, I want to go to the movies and that's the only thing that's playing. And so I, I think I was even late because I remember that when I watched it, I missed the, the first recap of, uh, you know, Blunt Spider-Man. I, I walked into the theater and uh, 
Miles Morales was there just walking around. I was like, who is this kid? So it was it was even worse because <laughs> I didn't have to set up for you know what what happens uh, in in the first reel to to that Spider Man. I am with Dan, and I don't know, Alex, if you can fathom the the sense of betrayal that mm-hmm. if you're a Spider-Man fan, you know, how it hits you over and over during this movie. But I, I don't know, I guess we'll find out as you recap and w- once we get to, to the real big turns in this story. Well, you know, the feelings of anguish and betrayal uh, as Morales here is, I guess, also 13, 14, 15, maybe like the worst time period of your life ever. So he yep. definitely understand the <laughs> understands the feelings and emotions that we're uh, conveying right now. He's uh, it's not a boarding school. It looks like a private middle school there in uh, New York City uh, that he's committed to now, I guess, for higher education or whatnot. But he says quickly and it's so heavy handed. He's like, but I want to be with the people. Uh, and <laughs> he says this to his dad. <laughs> Who kind of just plays it off like whatever? Go go to school now. He is a talented student. It's the classic tale of he doesn't apply himself. His teacher, Miss uh, Caleros, is played by Natalie Morales. So sure at is. first, I thought, yeah, I thought this movie was gonna bring the hitters and be on its A game, but <laughs> it was unfortunately a, a stark decline from here. But having Natalie on, uh, hearing her voice reminding me of uh, the Lucy character from Parks and Rec, that was definitely something that uh, was able to provide a momentary reprieve. Uh, but she asks him to create an article or write a paper on his purpose because he uh, he's intentionally flunking his test. He's trying to get kicked out of the school, and she knows how gifted he is. It's actually a pretty good exchange because she says, um, if you were blindfolded and took a true or false test, do you know you know what percentage you could potentially get and, or what amount of questions you would get right? And 50%. And so she knows he's trying to fail. So is it she wants him to write a, an essay on his purpose or his aspirations? Uh, yeah, it's it's titled yeah. Great Expectations. They, that's it. They had to throw a reference to yet another work that's much superior to to this movie. Now, Alex and and you did she give him to... a month to do it? Because there's so much that happens before he turns it in. Oh man, does he no, ever turn the, it in? This, I don't remember. This movie ta- uh, he turns it in the end. This movie takes place over like four days. <laughs> it's just it's like it's like Empire Records. A lot happened in those four days. <laughs> It's like nonstop. That's uh, yeah. There's a lot to take in. Then he, he did not sleep at all. I, I'm gonna say it, Alex, because uh, you can't and Dan can't. But I, I'm Peruvian, so I can. This movie <laughs> panders hard to the Hispanic, the Hispanic market. You know, it was it was just too much for me. You know, and I'm Hispanic, but like the the it was like I get it. It's a thing that like I get it. He is Hispanic, but you know they have the mom dropping into Spanish every other sentence, and then as he's walking down the streets, it's just like they dial to to eleven. It was like we get it. I am not that Hispanic walking down the street, and this kid was. It was just weird because I felt pandered to, which it's I a different like, Spider Man, Julio. We got to show that, right? <laughs> I just felt uh, like the movie was trying too hard to get me. You know, it's like, you didn't need to get me. I'm a Spider-Man fan already. Like, mm-hmm. you don't need to capture my attention with, with all this extra stuff. You know, it's like, I'm cool with Miles Morales being somebody other than a white dude. But you don't really have to, like, throw it in my face all the time. Just have him be instead of have him be Hispanic 24-7. It's just right. weird. Yeah, see, I'm I'm not okay with him being Spider-Man. Uh, mainly because, like, Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Like, we, we can only have one character per superhero name, please. I mean... If you really need to ape on Spider-Man, just call him Man Spider. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> like if you want to be that unoriginal to just take someone else's name, you know, like, it, it's the meme. Hey, can I copy your homework? Sure, just change it a little so no one notices, and then just do that. You have War Machine, 
for for Iron Man. They didn't make Rhodey like Iron Man as well. Yeah, th- this is this is just pretty lazy. And and the thing is, the way that they treat the Peter Parker character, I mean, as we will get into, you know, it's just it's all in service of making this kid the next Spider Man. And it's just very transparent. I mean, we should have more Hispanic superheroes, but we should create them from scratch. You know, you can have him be friends with Spider-Man, but he doesn't have to replace Spider-Man. What are you saying? That the only way that that a Hispanic superhero can succeed is if it takes over the mantle of an established white superhero? That that doesn't sit well with me. We've met Miles' father, Jefferson, um, but we meet more of what is the actual father figure to him or who he views kind of on the pedestal of what a father should be and the inspiration and kind of, um, you know, his role model. And that is his uncle Aaron, who I don't know if this was the movie's intention, but it goes out of its way to prove if you're single with no kids, you love a much more awesome life than if you're married (laughs) with kids as his apartment is just kick ass. He's got like all this modern art. He's got a, a heavy bag hanging. He's got Biggie on vinyl that he's just blasting, presumably around midnight. And, you know, it's mood lit, really great. And he just gives him all this advice on, you know, how to talk to girls. And he, he met a girl a little bit earlier in the day that he, he might be jonesing after. And not to be too cliche there, it's a it's a blonde white girl that he's uh, has an affinity for. <laughs> Do you recognize the voice of Academy Award winner uh, Mahershala Ali, Alex? Uh, no, I didn't recognize it until I looked it up. That was a busy year for him. Oh, he, yeah. He won the Oscar for Green Book when I would have been much more okay with him winning it for just voice acting in this movie. Uh, <laughs> but Herschel Ali, he was there to bring the bacon. Now, I haven't seen Green Book, but uh, I- I'm assuming he phoned in that performance. So, like, which phoned in performance of Mahershala Mahersh- Ali would you rather hear? Uh, this one or the one for Green Book? Well, the, the Green Book episode is amongst our most contentious. So, yes. uh, and I'm definitely on one side of it. So, I, I am fine with listening to him cough, sputter, and say, hey, in this movie. So, I, I would much rather take this Ali than uh, Green Book. Julio, I think you're probably going to side on the other. Just because of my my extreme dislike of, uh, for this movie, I just automatically have to. I hate the Spider Verse for making me side with Green Book, but that's the way it's gotta be, man. But he gives him advice on how to talk to girls and things like that. It's so you know we've seen superhero movies. If you've never seen a superhero movie before, this scene might be kind of like, oh, cool, he's got this uncle. Nothing bad could potentially happen to him. <laughs> but when you've seen these for, you know, go the better part of 30 years now, uh, well, it has been 30 years, because uh, to me, the modern tropes for superhero movies start with the Burton Batman. And so this is something you know exactly where this is going down the line. He makes it longer than you would expect, but you know where it's going. Yeah, there are two big reveals concerning his uncle, and they're both like, of course, <laughs> we knew right. that was going to happen. His uncle takes him out. They go to do some tagging. They're in a, an abandoned portion of the subway, uh, just doing some street art, some graffiti. Uh, during this, wouldn't you know it, a radioactive spider gets loose and <laughs> walks up and bites Miles. There's not the same oomph there that there has been in previous Spider-Mans where we told the story. It's all treated so laissez-faire. It seems to be focused more on the fact that the spider is, you know, twitching out and might be, you know, like a robot or some shit, but uh, it just crawls around for a while and it takes way too long to get where we know we're going. It shows the spider like circling him for like 45 seconds to a minute until he finally bites him. It's one of those things where maybe 10 minutes into the movie so far, we know this is going to happen. You can tell this shit in an opening montage, like the beginning of uh, X-Men Origins Wolverine. Again, take influences from that. Exactly. 
the the best movie opening of all time. It's up there. It's up there with Watchmen. But that's the problem, though, that that this movie, for all its attempts at being a, a different, fresh take on Spider-Man, it's still an origin story for Spider-Man. I mean, Miles Morales, as, as different as they try to make him from Peter Parker, once he gets bitten by the spider, it's like basically he goes through the same shit that Peter goes through every time we see his origin story, including the tragic death of a father figure. <laughs> so right. it's really not that original, guys. I mean, my big problem with that whole sequence is the fact that the spider bites him. He's like, eh. And I mean, like, where's the growth for for this character if you're not going to have him freak the fuck out when he gets bitten by a spider and have, like, a nervous breakdown in front of his entire science class? Like, I I don't understand where the confrontation is going to come from from his inner self in order to be better than what he is. Yeah, every time that we see Peter Parker, the real Peter Parker, go through his origin story and get bitten, it's a big deal. And here, it's like, Miles Morales can't even get that right. He's just like, ah, he walks off, <laughs> just flicks the spider away, and that's it. Like you said, Julio, exactly right, is that we've seen this already four or five times in, in an original iteration. you got to bring something new to the table. You can't just keep doing the same shit. You, like, that's where I will give eternal props to uh, The Amazing Spider-Man, the first one with Andrew Garfield, because his learning about himself montage and the, the way it happens, a little bit different. you got Coldplay in the background, so you know you're dealing with a whole new deck of cards here. Here, it's exactly like you guys were just saying. He wakes up the next morning, and it's the same shit that we've seen. His hands are sticking to things. His uh, intuition and sensibilities are heightened. Uh, he has grown overnight and almost uh, an homage to Big, uh, and he <laughs> chalks this all up to going through puberty. I've went through puberty in my life. Trust me, I wish it was one thing that happened overnight, but it is definitely not. It's a, a long, arduous process. And he ends up at school. He's sweating. He somehow ends up, oh, because he runs into the the blonde girl from class the day before who introduced herself as Gwanda or Gwananda, something fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah, South African. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then he, in a fit of just, I don't know what to do, tries to do the shoulder trick, the hay, puts his hand on her shoulder, gets stuck, gets his hand stuck to her hair. Hilarity ensues. It really seems like this was a waste for an animated movie because, you know, in the right hands, this could be a really a funny set piece. You know, if you had, I, I mean, it would have been funny to see Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone doing this shit. Uh, in an animated movie, it just feels like you're missing out on a lot. This is something you want to see actual actors do. So this whole thing, though, it sets off, it's a big kind of like set piece of him discovering his powers and all that stuff. And the, the thing that worked when it happens to Peter Parker in the original story is that there is nothing like that in the world. So, of course, he's confused. This kid lives in a world that has Spider-Man comics. Like, mm-hmm. as he's discovering his powers, he he actually sticks to a Spider-Man comic. And that's how it finally he kind of realizes what's happening. But it's like, if you lived in a world where Spider-Man exists and you start exhibiting spider powers, wouldn't your first thought be like, holy shit, I'm Spider-Man. I'm like Spider-Man. Especially if a spider bit you the night before. So the fact that it takes him forever to figure that out was just exasperating. Yeah, and we're we're supposed to believe this kid is smart. You know, he's at this <laughs> gifted school. Like, it's, it's called Visions. Like, what more pretentious fucking sounding school can you come up with than just <laughs> Visions? Like, he's supposed to be this special, special kid, and he can't even figure out, oh, 
I'm Spider-Man. Okay, cool. <laughs> it's actually worse than you guys are saying because he gets back to his room and starts reading his Spider-Man comic, and it's literally the, the dialogue that he's been saying to himself <laughs> throughout this process with pictures of what he's going through ex- like to the T. So the movie is just... It's going out of its way to beat you over the head with this kid cannot figure out you know, his ass from a hole in the ground. Uh, it seems illogical, but so does a lot of the other things in this movie. And uh, I guess it just took him seeing it in you know, pen to paper to realize what's happening. He ends up retracing his steps to see maybe where it happened, what went wrong, that type of thing. Ends up back at the um, abandoned portion of the subway where him and his uncle were doing some tagging and comes across the spider comments on how unremarkable it is starts the Alice in Wonderland type thing of just going down the rabbit hole starts tugging at the the thread on the sweater and he just stumbles into this absolute scene of chaos that based on what's happening there's no way he couldn't have at least heard a rumbling until he got there but he just kind of <laughs> opens up a piece of the wall and looks through and it's um is it the green goblin and spider-man fighting Yes. Well, they claim it's the Green Goblin. It's more like the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. You see, this this is an interpretation of the Green Goblin I never like, and you know, whenever I see it in anything, I just go, "Well, this fucking sucks," and move on. <laughs> yeah, it just it says a lot about a person and how they depict the Green Goblin. Do you cast Willem Dafoe to play him? Do you cast uh, the kid from the Amazing Spider-Man Two? <laughs> is it Dan DeHaan? Dan DeHaan. Yeah, Dan DeHaan. Uh, or do you make him this this gigantic monster with zero charisma, barrels through walls and growls at Spider-Man? It's like they took everything that made the Green Goblin uh, interesting and they just turned him into a generic monster. So it says on IMDb, obviously there would have been heavy distortion in it, but it says the voice of Green Goblin was uh, Jorma from the Lonely Island. Why would you have someone of of that stature and then use them in a in a way that no one would be able to say, "Hey, that's Jorma." <laughs> Swing and a miss. You might as well just say, I don't know. There's people that talk like have big, intimidating, booming voices. Just get them to do this shit. Just have fucking Robert Duvall yell into the microphone for five minutes and use that as the audio. <laughs> this is where though it does change it up a bit. It yanks the rug out from under you because we finally see Spider Man, the Spider Man. Voiced, of course, by uh, Captain Kirk, Chris Pine. I was going to quote his name from Smoke and Aces, but I'm blanking on it. Something Tremor. Anyway, Chris Pine is here, and it fills you with a sense of warmth and comfort and a blanket of everything's going to be okay because Chris Pine is here. And that does not last long. <laughs> they they fucking kill Spider-Man. And yeah. I un- I understand this is called Into the Spider-Verse, so I'm realizing there may be more to this than I think, but Kingpin just shows up and just fucking Polish hammers him into the ground and kills him. What the fuck? Julio did not prepare me for this. My knowledge of the movie did not. We kill Spider-Man off in the first reel. Uh, unforgivable. It's just such a callous thing to do. I, I, I mean, there, there are a few things that I think that you just shouldn't mess with. Like, you don't kill... Donald Duck, you don't kill Mickey Mouse like on screen. There's certain icons that should be untouchable. You can put Spider-Man through hell like in a story, but you don't kill him. Like that's uh, especially for a movie that seems to uh, claim that it has such a love for Spider-Man and its mythology and, and the inspiration that Spider-Man is to them all. For them to basically throw you into the second act by killing 
Peter Parker. And not even like, oh, he didn't die like in an explosion, like saving someone. No, like like you said, Kingpin bashes his head in, basically. <laughs> so right, it's, yeah. it's it's cruel for no reason. It, what it does is unfortunately it causes you to resent Miles Morales because Unless you're you're a little kid, like anybody who's who's watched enough movies and who's aware of how movies work, like they'll, you just know that the only reason that Peter Parker got killed is so Miles Morales can take over, and so it automatically puts him on my bad side. And, and it's not only like that, but also it betrays exactly what the movie was just saying. Like the like literally minutes before, it's Spider Man always gets back up, and then of course <laughs> Spider Man gets knocked down. He doesn't get up, and then they murder him. So either he broke the Spider Man rule, so they had to kill him, or they broke the Spider Man rule because they killed him. I was I was really expecting a, a one final scene between Miles and uh, and this Spider Man, blonde Spider Man, where uh, it's like the Lion King scene after Mufasa's dead. And uh, Simba's just kind of like trying to lift his paw. <laughs> like, Dad, Dad, <laughs> couldn't even pull that it off. Was not at all. the Basically, the flashback I got from this was when they killed fucking Professor X and Cyclops 30 minutes into <laughs> X-Men 3. I was just like, well, I have no reason to invest in this any longer. <laughs> at this point, though, uh, would be remiss if we didn't draw attention to Kingpin. Uh, what's his shoot name? It is... Wilson uh, Fisk. Wilson Fisk, yes. Voice by, yeah, I was about to say the leave, the incomparable Liv Schreiber at long last returning to the Contrarians. I think he's always has he been starring in anything we've done before, Julio, or has he just kind of had acknowledgement due to Scream? Mixed Nuts was the closest that he had to a big role on the show. Okay, well, I'm glad that this movie could bring one thing to our show, and that is. An absolute unadulterated love fest for Leif Schreiber, as he deserves in every aspect. Uh, Kingpin. Everything in this movie is animated, just kind of like, um, kind of like a, just a little bit of an exaggeration of real life. It, it's kind of like what you would think of of you cartoons, think. maybe in of the eighties, and with the way like Peter Parker and um, I guess the Jefferson Miles' dad has kind of a comedic build, but then you see Kingpin who is like a square that they put a head on <laughs> like this little button that is this head and it completely throws out off the animation the animation style is a bit weird to begin with with this movie mm-hmm. it takes some getting used to but then you see kingpin and you're like what the fuck he's like a moving wall <laughs> and my kingpin one his head is on top of his body not dead center of his chest <laughs> he's not ichabod crane and then two he wears a white overcoat, and he's just a portly fellow. He's not <laughs> this walking wall of destruction. So you want to give me kind of a spin on the Marvel comics and mixing up and being a bit more conscious of giving roles of gender and race a bit of a twist. You give me Michael Clark Duncan as Kingpin. That's <laughs> oh, how you do thank it. Thank you, Alex. That was exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. Is The third parameter you're missing is that the Kingpin is played by Michael Clark Duncan. It's so easy. I mean, in a way, yes, it's impossible to do it anymore but but you could recreate the likeness of michael clark duncan and and you know leave shriver can still voice him make the best of both worlds yeah i'm not complaining about the leave at all but yeah the just the build of kingpin was very troubling so spider-man's dead as we said and the the city of new york begins its mourning process they make an announcement on the news i i couldn't tell if they were trying to like say anything by this because every they show everyone on their phones like in times square and everything where it's kind of like you could just look up and see it on the massive screen there so i don't know if they were trying to say that we spend too much time on our phones but uh spider-man's dead he's unveiled that he's peter parker 
Uh, we see his funeral proceedings where Mary Jane speaks to the people. Was it me or did they animate Mary Jane to look kind of like Emma Stone in this? Yeah, I mean, a bit. I, I wouldn't put it past them. They they get everything so wrong that of course they would get that wrong as well because you're supposed to <laughs> get get her to look like uh, Kirsten Dunst. Emma Stone was Gwen Stacy. No, I know that's why I was like, this is backwards because there's one part in particular where uh, Peter's like holding up a picture of her, and I was like, what the fuck? Loosely based here, but from here, Miles starts to realize he has these powers, and you know, Spider Man kind of told him, you know, it's not going to be easy. You got to wear a mask. No one can know who you are. Uh, and so he goes and just buys a Spider-Man costume at this store. And in from to Stan my, Lee. <laughs> I was about to say, to my knowledge, Stan Lee's last appearance on film, um, they depict him as this old carny that runs a store that has the huge sign that says no returns or refunds ever. Mm-hmm. And he just tells him, if it doesn't fit now, it will. So he just, they're like, RIP Stan, you old carny fuck. This is what we all thought of you in the end. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I want to say Endgame gave him the, the is a more a proper farewell. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this might be Endgame was 2019. Is that correct? Because it's 2018, and Endgame was March 2019. I think yes, but okay. they filmed or Infinity. May. Well, I sh- I say filmed. I mean, they CGI animated uh, Infi- Infinity War and Endgame at the same time. Okay. Oh, so yeah, so maybe his last performance, like in real life chronology, was him voicing over this. Uh... Yeah, I mean, for all we know, he did this voice performance back in like 2010, and they're like, "Yeah, we'll definitely do an animated Spider-Man movie at some point." <laughs> They've just been sitting on it for years. They, hey, where's that old fucker's audio drop? They pull out the tape, <sighs> blow the dust off of it. All right, fire it up. Yeah, they, they actually recorded on HD DVD. That's how old it is. <laughs> yes. It's the final insult, too, because uh, poor Stan had no idea that he was talking to a kid that was replacing Peter Parker after Peter Parker had been dead for a week. <laughs> You're going to do what with my character? <laughs> so we get the Stan Lee cameo. It's fitting. It's it's needed. And Miles begins his, I guess, self-guided training. And again, I mean, I hate to beat on this, this dead horse that we already have, but we've seen this shit before and it's offered with like no new spin. He just goes to the top of a building. Uh, I guess they try to insert the little comedic element of it where he shies away from it at first, but you know, he finally jumps off the building. He falls. Uh, We saw this shit almost 20 years ago. Come on guys. Mm -hmm. You got to pull something else out of the hat. Yeah. There's no Coldplay and there's also no Tobey Maguire going like up, up and away web or whatever he was saying. You know, that was, we've seen this exact same thing. Go, web, go. Yeah. There has to be other things that you can do as Spider-Man, like to train, you know, show him trying to climb a wall. No, Tobey Maguire did that too. I don't know. Show show him do something else. Uh, I mean, he's obviously got to go to a wrestling ring. Like, come on. Like, there's (laughs) got to be the pro wrestling event in town. Uh, I'm sure, you know. Jim Cornette's backstage saying he's going to expose the business or some shit, and then he'll show up, kick some ass, and then, I they don't have know, C- something. CGI Randy Savage in there as Bonesaw. <laughs> they already have the audio. They just reuse the audio. Yeah, I, I mean, at least something, if we're just going to do the same shit, at least make it enjoyable. Right. Um. I, I guess the main takeaway from these botched training sessions are, or is... He was given a, a USB drive that was going to corrupt the super collider. What we discovered that Kingpin is doing, he has a team that's building uh, basically a machine to access alternate dimensions. Uh, and 
when right before Peter Parker, the shoot Peter Parker dies, he tells him, I know what you're trying to do. It's not going to bring him back. We, the audience, don't know what that means. We assume it's um, the four alarm chicken sandwich from Wendy's from the mid 2000s, which I can understand <laughs> Kingpin aiming to build something to bring that sandwich back. I would do that if I had the means. Uh, but we don't know what it's about yet. But what we do know is this massive machine that can bend space and time itself can be stopped by a USB drive being plugged into it. And the one thing that can stop this, the one thing that he had to protect, he falls on immediately and breaks. So do we really trust this guy over the 9 million people that live in New York City? As if this movie hadn't already you know, dishonored the Spider-Man mythos enough, we're in this sort of cosmic adventure which is not how Spider-Man rolls at all. When a kingpin, kingpin is a gangster, he shouldn't mm-hmm. be messing with the with alternate realities, with forces beyond his control. Like if you wanted to go that way, I mean, I'm sure there are Spider-Man villains that would be better suited for for that sort of stuff. Like even Doctor Octopus, you know, he's a scientist. He he can like accidentally open a portal somewhere. But Kingpin is about Mysterio. Mysterio, you know, Mysterio. Uh, Kingpin is about, you know, I don't know, corrupting people. money. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's like a mob boss. Leave the gun, take the cannolis. He's not, you know, by my calculations, this should work. (laughs) The other thing with this is like, this is what IT is for. Like this, this idiot kid is why there's so many high paying jobs for IT is because (laughs) they have to, they have to deal with people like this idiot who are just like, oh, my computer's not working. I better throw it off a four-story building. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> Think about it. Sir, have you tried uh, turning your super collider on and off? He's like, this USB drive won't work. Uh, well, I did fall on it and break it completely. Is that a problem <laughs> at all? So that's the problem. We need to figure out now how he's going to stop this. Before we can figure that out, there's a whole new introduction here. Uh, he goes to visit the grave of Peter Parker, I guess, to search for enlightenment. Peter B. Parker shows up. It takes us a little bit to figure out who he is because they insert this comedic set piece into it where he and Miles are evading the police. Uh, he's unconscious, mm-hmm. so Miles is using his web slinger and dragging his unconscious body with him. And uh, it's, you know, I, I assume we were talking before we came on the air about how Paul Blart made $200 million. So I know some people find shit like that funny. But for, for me and what we're discussing here, it I was just like, okay, who is this guy? Let's fucking get to it. Let's get the story. And it's pretty quick into this that he explains I'm the alternate dimension Spider-Man. Right. And it's like, okay. And I want to point out something. And Alex, you will share my concerns with this. This bit has a lot to do with head trauma. And I mean, you're <laughs> you're a pro wrestling fan. Uh, I'm a pro wrestling fan. I'm a hockey fan, too. Uh, I, I li- I'm a Pittsburgh Penguins fan, specifically. I lived through the saga of Sidney Crosby's concussions, which dealt, he dealt with for over three years. You know, unprotected chair shots to the head have gone away. Like, when is head trauma going to stop being funny to people? He gets it bad, too. Like, Peter goes through the headstone. <laughs> there's that, and there's the part where, like, his head's dragging on the concrete as they're they're going. And in addition to that, and then it comes on top of it, it's just like, okay, this dude's teeth would be knocked out. Spider-Man is not Wolverine. He doesn't have these regenerative powers that he appears to here. And again, I know we're getting nerdy and breaking this down, but the problem is this movie's starting to insult our intelligence here, and it's calling for these type of discussions. But also, Spider-Man is not... Spider-Man is funny because he is quippy. He's witty. Spider-Man is not funny because he's like the king of the pratfalls you know it's like you don't go watch a spider movie to see him 
uh, have all these like Bugs Bunny misadventures. You know, you you want to mm-hmm. hear him make fun of the bad guys, be, be quick with a with a line, uh, and this right. whole sequence is just them being cartoonish. Right. The things the things people liked about the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Andrew Garfield being quippy. Oh no, tiny knives, my one weakness. <laughs> like that that shit's funny. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to see Peter Parker's face get dragged across the asphalt across New York City for uh 15 miles. So yeah, I, truncated version. Peter B. Parker is from a different dimension. He looks just like, you know, the Chris Pine Peter Parker, uh, but he's voiced by what's the dude from New Girl? Is it Jake Johnson. Jake Johnson. Who has a face very similar to the guy who played Bartleby the elf in the Santa Claus, but they are not the same person. <laughs> No, he was on numbers. <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you. He had a bit of a different run. He had broken up with MJ, and we get the bit of a different story, and he wants to get back to make things better. We see his being is glitching a little bit, and obviously that'll happen when you're pulled into a different dimension. So in an effort to figure this all out and get him back to where he needs to go, uh, they decide to team up. They go to the laboratory where Kingpin's working. I never knew where the the meme came from of him crouched with little Spider-Man next to him. So this <laughs> scene here kind of unveiled that to me. I mean, uh, if there's I, one thing this movie's good for, it, it unleashed to you uh, some meme material so you understood things more. <laughs> yeah, the internet made more sense to me <laughs> after it. Julio, I mean, you're the biggest Spider-Man fan I know. This whole dynamic of, you know, a Batman and Robin type where Spider-Man has this young apprentice. Does this do anything for you? Uh, no, because it's not Spider-Man. But but even mm-hmm. even so, like I could maybe be into it, into the novelty of it, if this Peter B. Parker was Spider-Man. But he's not. He's like the loser version of Spider-Man. It was like it's such a fine line because, yeah, what Peter Parker is known for is for for having bad luck, right? He yep. that, that's the thing. Like things rarely go his way, but he doesn't give up. That's the thing. And you killed that the Spider-Man that seemed to be like that in this dimension. And replace him with a guy that gives up. You know, he's he's just like... Again, it's not that I want to fat shame the Spider-Man, but the movie does it. And so I have to point it out. You know, it's like mm-hmm. there must be... Like, like his weight is like a running joke through the movie. Like people point it out and he lies about it. You know, we see him like stuffing his face constantly throughout the movie. Uh, he, he doesn't shave. He has like a... 10 o'clock shadow it's like clearly he ruined his life in his original reality he's a terrible teacher here at miles it's just like okay it wasn't enough to kill spider-man now we're going to as if that wasn't enough to make miles look better we're also going to make a a different spider-man from a different reality we're going to make him such a loser that hopefully you're going to be very happy when miles morales finally comes into his own and takes over the mantle as the spider-man in this reality again it's just it's just insulting well and also it's never peter's fault that he has bad luck you know this this spider-man is very clearly it's all his fault that he is the way that he is and his life has developed into what it is you know parker luck is always oh fuck something bad happened to me that was beyond my control and this guy is just like the worst version of Spider-Man. It, you know, it, it really, truly made me upset to watch this man pretend to be Spider-Man. Yeah, Miles Morales saying he's Spider-Man. Sure, at least like he's on a learning curve. Like I, I can give him a bit to, to learn how to be Spider-Man. This guy is Spider-Man, allegedly. But, you know, he's like Spider-Dude. Who just like, oh yeah, I kind of have spider powers, but I also like to eat pizza a lot. That's a really good point, yeah. That, that you know, basically... The thing about the Parker luck is that bad things happen even though Peter Parker is trying his best. This is not a guy that's trying his best. So he's not Peter Parker. 
Right. So they're at the laboratory. They track Kingpin here. Presumably all his plans are laid out for this super collider. The idea being that Peter B. Parker is going to go in, see what's going on, and Miles is going to stand watch. Uh, but Miles goes in to warn him. You know, he knows trouble's afoot. He doesn't want him to get hurt. And so this is kind of where they turn the comedy up tenfold because there's them trying to, you know, fit into a air air conditioning vent together and miles not understanding how to unstick from surfaces. Uh, there's a lot of that comedy where two characters are talking quietly in a room. And then you can see in the backdrop behind them, a lot of chaos going on. They're knocking out all the hits here of, you know, the comedic beats uh, when really all it is, is Peter needs to get into the computer at this laboratory and figure out what the plan is. And the scientist whose computer they're trying to get into is Catherine Hahn, but what is her character's name? Olivia Octavius, mm-hmm. known to her friends as Liv. And uh, I'm sure you can see where this is going. <laughs> I did not, coming into this spoiler-free. And Julio, Julio, like you said, definitely the woke Spider-Man. Doc Ock is a woman now, um, but we've determined that these are alternate realities. So anything can happen. My assumption is there were a lot of really... Uh, well-adjusted and normal-behaving fanboys that got upset by this. (laughs) Let me tell you something. I definitely was one of those people. I was very upset to see, you know, not only have we changed the race on Spider-Man, we've also changed the gender on Doc Ock. Like, I I was upset because I was seeing more color and diversity in what I was watching, as opposed to just white, 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 white. I just want white. Come on. Anchor man, not anchor lady. I texted Julio about this. I did appreciate that they made the character look like Catherine Hahn. They didn't really seem like anyone else in this movie was actually modeled after who voiced them. So when I saw her immediately, I was like, that looks like Catherine Hahn. And then she started talking. I was like, oh, that is Catherine Hahn. <laughs> the reveal is pretty cool. It's pretty, um, it's definitely something that's not explored enough in this because Doc Ock just becomes another, you know, henchman 27 type thing. Her initial reveal is really cool and how chilling it is because she sees Spider-Man and says, oh, my God, you know, you must be from another dimension. She figures it out really quickly and then throws him into a chair to which he kind of gets cuffed down. And she starts just doing that really, um, you know, Clint Eastwood style dialogue of I'm going to watch you die and I'm going to enjoy it. And it's it's pretty crazy. And it's immediately killed the vibe of it, because in the background, Miles is trying to get into her computer. They do the gag of he logs in and she's got, uh, you know, icons everywhere. She doesn't have an organized desktop. So eventually they just decide they're going to steal the whole computer. Uh there are things about this that work, but it's really disjointed. And of course, this leads leads to a big action piece, a getaway chase scene, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I guess this is kind of where Miles starts to learn more of his powers. This is like the first time he successfully web slings, I believe. Um, yep. Yeah, but also, I guess, because they can't help themselves. they And they have to keep trying to, I guess, improve on Spider-Man. Uh, it turns out that Miles Morales can also turn himself invisible. And he can yes. also... I guess, shoot electricity or or shock people with his hands. It's never like really explained. Like his, his powers are kind of like conveniently like in the, in the first half of the movie or the first two thirds of the movie, these new powers show up kind of like to be an inconvenience. And then in the third act, they, they actually work as in like to to make him the best Spider-Man ever, but we're never really explained how they work. You know, sometimes like in the third act, it's just exactly the way he needs them to be in sequences like this one. They, they work really randomly he like he shocks peter rather than shock the bad guys or he becomes invisible but not when he needs to be invisible and so on it's just a mess we have another reveal now when it seems like the backs of the spider-men 
Spider-Boy and Spider-Man are against the wall. To save the day, it is Gwen Stacy. Was she voiced by anyone? Haley Steinfeld. Yeah. Uh, True Grits, Haley Steinfeld. Another Oscar nominee. Wait, is she, is, was she the little girl in True Grit? Yes. Oh, cool. Yeah, she's all uh, grown up now at the, at the ripe old age of 17 for this movie. <laughs> I'm all grown up now. (laughs) And she is the girl from school, because you could, if you've seen a movie like this ever before, you knew this is where it was going. She saves the day. It's clear she's from another dimension. So we now have the the triad of spider people. You also needed that. You had a female Doc Ock. Now you need a female Spider-Man because there's no stopping it now. You know, my my male, well-adjusted comic book fanness is is just hitting the roof here I, I i just can't i just can't take this anymore like what what more ridiculous shit can you throw on screen we're gonna have spider-man and spider-man <laughs> i mean come on now uh, what's next heat spider pig here is where the movie makes its most interesting turn and a quizzical one at that as we are privy to and we see the motivations that kingpin has for the super collider in that he was in a fight with Spider-Man at his home, it looked like. His wife and child were there and fleed the scene to get to safety. They were T-boned by, a, it looked like a big truck, 18-wheeler perhaps, mm-hmm. in the process and killed. Okay, so two things. One, fuck, man. That's that's relatable. I want Kingpin to win. He's a man, <laughs> as listeners of the podcast know, I am a hopeless romantic. And in this case, I want him to get his family back and get back the ones he loves and to bend space and time themselves to do so. And then two, I assume this movie was PG and obviously it's a Spider-Man movie. So it's going to be geared towards children. This is some heavy shit. Like the idea of uncle Ben getting killed. uh, There's always death associated with any true great superhero. So kids are going to, you know, understand that part of it and get used to it. But this whole thing here of bringing into the question, is there good and bad? Is there black and white? Is it just shades of gray where everyone has their motivations? You know, maybe to do something good, you have to do something bad to get it. You know, uh, for 10, 11, 12 year olds, this is like mind blowing shit of trying to piece this together and figure it out. So I think this is great for people like us, adults, to watch it, but I think this is a concept that is so overwhelming for a youthful audience that is not at all explored. Quickly, we're just back to Kingpin's the bad guy, and that's all there is to it. Right. And it's something Julio brought up like about him not liking Miles. This was the point where I didn't like Miles, because I knew where this movie was going to go. I knew Miles was going to be the one that, that shut down this, this collider and stopped you know, Kingpin from getting back together with his family, because now I'm invested in Kingpin, you know, I'm I'm off woke Spider-Man team. I can't take them anymore. I want to see somebody else come in and do do some good. And that's what Wilson Fisk is doing. He he wants to he all he wants is his family back. How can you not root for that? Yeah, and the thing is that nobody on the other side ever even considers the idea that well maybe we could stop fighting against him and help him achieve his goal in a healthier way. You know, it's like if instead of trying to shut down his experiments, all these spider people join forces and try to figure out a way of getting his family into this world without destroying Brooklyn, you know, then maybe, you know, just join forces. That's that's the thing. You can't make Kingpin this sympathetic while also keeping him a bad guy that we want to see lose completely, you know, like, but the movie never is not interested in exploring that, that sort of ambiguity, you know, like when, when in the very end, at the very end, when Kingpin is defeated, 
it's never treated as in like, oh, bummer, you know, his family. He never got his family back. This poor guy. It's just like, fuck yeah, Kingpin lost. That's mm-hmm. that's not, I mean, you know, if you're not going to treat it seriously, then don't don't bring me this, don't humanize him halfway through the movie because it's not worth it if you're not going to follow up on it. My next note just says, LOL, Lily Tomlin. As the trifecta of Gwen Stacy, Peter B. Parker and Miles Morales make their way to Aunt May's house. This is another one, guys. The the Aunt May saga. We've gone all over the place. And, you know, I was pretty settled with my Marissa Tomei Aunt May. You know, you the, were. The late, I think everyone was. <laughs> the late night, you know, you're on your fifth page of searching through Pornhub results for some kinky porn. You know, Aunt May pops up and you're like, hell yeah, here we go. That was what I was settled on with Marissa Tomei. And then we kind of bring it back to the the older, the almost uh, grandmotherly-like character. Uh, and, and like I said, I'm not going to lie. Lily Tomlin in any type of animated movie, let alone a superhero one doing a voice, it was akin to when she showed up on Eastbound and Down. Just the idea of her being involved in it made me pop. So that, that made me laugh. Um, what made me laugh harder was she sees Peter B. Parker and immediately realizes just, oh, you're from another dimension. Because, you know, she <laughs> she's obviously privy to these things that no one else is. You guys might need to help me out with this, but she takes him to Peter's lair. He has like a bat cave type thing. Was that a was that common in the comic books? I guess I, in my experience with Spider-Man, he never really had an underground layer like that. I mean, I think that the implication is that in that dimension, in Miles Morales's reality, uh, blonde Peter Parker is more of a Bruce Wayne character with an underground layer and Aunt May is like Alfred running it for him because she seems to know her way around it pretty well. I, I, I'm going to disagree with you, Alex, though. As much as I like Lily Tomlin, to me, her character, her take on Aunt May is kind of like, it highlights one of the biggest problems in the movie and with, uh, I think, Lord and Miller in general, which is that they can't stop themselves from undercutting emotional moments with comedy. You have this really awesome moment where loser Peter Parker, Peter B. Parker, is reunited with Aunt May, who in his reality, she's dead. You know, when he's doing his little recap, he's like, oh, Aunt May died. So he's seeing his his dead aunt again, you know, mm-hmm. in a different reality. And she recognizes him. And it looks like we're about to get like an Oscar clip. You know, this is going to be like awesome. And then suddenly she does the thing that you said, where she's like, oh, you're from another reality. Let me let me show you the spider lair. And then she kicks the door open. And suddenly she's like, oh, she's not Aunt May. She's she's funny Aunt May. She's like, she's she'd be played by Betty White if this was like a live action movie. Like she's it's, yeah. it's that kind of older lady. And I was like, man, don't do that. It, it just feels like a cheat. Not just because it's such a tropey character, but also because you almost took us to an emotional place and then you backed away from it. And, and not only that, but like Aunt May is always successful as a character whenever she's kind of like the doting aunt that not, not doting I should say but like the not really putting it together aunt who is also just wise and is there for just that sage wisdom whenever Peter needs it most and here it's just like oh yeah like Alex said she's just Alfred and it's like okay well that's that's a different character but okay <laughs> thanks for thanks for ruining this one too this is kind of where Peter B. Parker sees a picture of uh, MJ and Whoa. here is where my note just says, what is happening? The movie goes from somewhat held together and plausible to just completely, uh, let's just spend, you know, at this point, the movie costs $50 million. And they're like, well, we got 
40 million left over. So let's use some Warner Brothers intellectual property and let's get Nicolas Cage to do some voiceovers for us. So uh, we're introduced to the noir Spider-Man, who's a black and white Spider-Man, played by uh, the aforementioned Nicolas Cage. Uh, Peter Porker, or Spider-Ham, played by John Mulaney, of whatever fame you want to give that guy. (laughs) And then Penny Parker, uh, company with her robot, um, played by Kimiku Glenn. And she's like an anime style of mm. having uh, the robot. The spider is her dad, I, I think is what the story was. And that became the robot that looks like Spider-Man. So, again, three new characters, but they're all from their own different dimensions and realities that came through the uh, Super Collider during the initial rip. And here's something I want to say about this as, as a comic book fan. Uh and we didn't touch on this before when they do the the super collider experiment, but like they show the universe numbers. So like the the prime universe we're sitting in is the sixteen ten or the ultimate universe. Uh, the MCU takes place in the six one six. So they reference the six one six, and that's the one where Peter B. Parker comes from. Uh, and, and you know that's your canonical Spider Man. And to think that your canonical Spider Man is this fat schlubby loser <laughs> who is such a sad sack and doesn't actually even want to be there. The, it it just broke me entirely to to know that you know they they're willing to destroy the continuity of the six one six in order to give you this thing that you know just stomps on my childhood. Now, Dan, I was going to ask you though because I think out of the three of us, you're the one that has the most experience with uh with anime. You just did a whole month of uh, anime on your show. Oh, uh, yeah. So, yeah, dude. To me, uh, somebody who's not like really an anime fan, the the character of uh, uh, what's her name? Like, well, anime Spider Girl. You know, to me, yeah. it almost felt like stereotypically offensive. Is that correct, or am I am I just missing the the homage to Japanese culture? No, no, because you're right. Like you, 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 like. As you pointed out before, they're claiming this to be, like, the woke Spider-Man. Like, look how diverse we are. But then, like, when Penny Parker shows up, she's, like, off-dubbed. And, like, that's some offensive... Like, that was, like, shit you did in, like, grade school. Whereas, like, when Godzilla came out and you're like, oh, Godzilla! And then you, like, covered up your mouth. You know, like, just to make it seem like shit wasn't happening. Like, come on, guys. Like, are you woke or are you not woke? Because, like, (laughs) racist jokes I made in elementary school aren't really woke, bro. Was it common knowledge going into this that Nicolas Cage had a character? Was that part of the, like, the marketing behind it? Uh, I, I want to say no, but I don't remember even seeing anything for this before I went to see it. I was just like, oh, free movie ticket. Cool. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, free movie tickets. Ugh. I don't I don't remember, but I, I will tell you this, Alex. Like, the, the you know, if I find uh, Penny Parker kind of offensive and then, uh, you know, John Mulaney, Spider-Ham, it's just, it, that's just dumb. But, yeah. I would say Spider Cage, to me, that's like the one saving grace in this movie. It's not enough because he's not in, in it enough, right? But if if I could have a Nicolas Cage, a Spider-Man Noir spinoff that doesn't deal with any of the other bullshit that this movie is dealing with, I would be up for it. I'm sure Nicolas Cage would be up for it, too. Uh, oh, yeah. He, he's still got to pay back those taxes. So <laughs> yes. we, we got a long way to go. <laughs> so it's kind of a, a shame. And once again, it kind of hurts that the movie teases you with with a character that's mostly in the background and it's actually a character that I would rather 
follow for an entire movie. Yeah, he has a lot of really good lines. We'll talk about more in the second portion of it. And it's treated kind of with the ridiculousness of uh, Nicolas Cage. I'm trying to remember that Andy Samberg line, the the smoky features of a cigar store Indian, Nicolas Cage, when describing him. It's very, very Nicolas Cage. So I didn't know if that was part of it or kind of like the Matt Damon and Interstellar thing. I'm like, hey, that's Nicolas Cage. Moving the story along here, we find out that one of the henchmen for Kingpin, Prowler, is uh, Uncle Aaron. This was actually a very heartbreaking reveal. Uh, He goes to stalk uh, Miles and comes across him, and he's using the invisibility to stay away from him, and he takes his hood off and reveals in his conversation to Kingpin that it is, in fact, his uh, Uncle Aaron. So... This obviously, understandably so, freaks Miles out. He ends up going to see the rest of them at Aunt May's house and say, it's my uncle. You know, I don't know what to do. They kind of tell him he's got to get out of there. He's clearly been tracked at this point because we just have this massive showdown at Aunt May's house where everything gets torn to absolute shit. Uh, who was the um, the scorpion in this? Was he voiced by anyone of note? Do you know? I don't think so. But of course, the, the big thing is that they also made the the scorpion Hispanic. Because he's also dropping Spanish left and right. Oh, yeah. Joaquin uh, Cosillo. Phoenix? I'm, I'm not. <laughs> it was not Joaquin Phoenix. We only wish. This movie needed more pedigree to it in order to really capture my attention. I mean, I mean, you have some heavy hitters here, but they need you need more. And Joaquin can definitely bring that for you. They threw the rest of the budget on Cage, and then they're like, fuck it. It's just Mulaney and then a bunch of no ones. Uh, so it's just a big fight that ends up with uh, Prowler and Spider-Boy on the roof, and this is where the big reveal happens, where he discovers that it is his nephew, Miles, and refuses to you know pull the trigger, so to speak, and kill him uh, upon order from Kingpin. So Kingpin shoots him. Uh, Miles escapes the scene with uh, his uncle and takes him, you know, just kind of into an alley downtown. And unfortunately, Uncle Aaron passes away, but he does tell Miles, you're the best of us and you're on your way. Now, as they were fleeing the scene, Jefferson was approaching in his car. So he takes off and follows them, finds the alley uh, where they are. Spider-Man, Spider-Boy takes off upon, you know, seeing or hearing him. And this is where he finds his uh, brother. It sounded like they were estranged, but, you know, finding your brother dead in an alley is never going to be easy. Right. So it's at this point, Jefferson wants to wage war on Spider-Man. This goes away at light speed, but in this one <laughs> moment here, he wants to wage war against your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Yeah, this is this is his big uh, Mickey, I'm coming to get you moment. And yeah, you're right. It never really pays off. He he does the the stare at the clouds with the fish shaking Spider-Man, and then he's like. <laughs> All right, back to my job, and then walks away. It's like okay, it's like that NPC in a video game, like who you like horribly, horribly wrong, and then they're like, "What the fuck, man!" And then three <laughs> seconds later, they they go off to like buy potatoes from the shop or something like that. <laughs> the gang regroups and has a a meeting, a, a coming together, a meeting of minds about the what's going on and what they need to do. And it's clear they need to get back and to do that they've got to take this magical usb and plug it in and so they come and meet with miles and explain that the plan is that uh, peter b parker is going to be the one to do it he'll die in the process but needs to be done as they kind of tell miles you're not ready for this and you know despite his insisting that he is they all kind of say their goodbyes and he says he's ready uh peter tests them and says you know use your powers on command well you can't so he webs him to a chair and takes off. You know, we get this emotional scene where uh, Miles' dad shows up at the door and just kind of tells him, you know, family's all you got type of thing. Would have 
probably made more sense to have this scene earlier in the movie because then he just goes out in the next scene and realizes that he can control his powers. Yep. So <laughs> it's just kind of all for naught. Right. Uh, like it's so it's my, the quickest like zero to hero thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've seen Hercules where they did an entire <laughs> montage. <laughs> There's an actual song called yeah. From Zero to Hero. That That's what we needed here. Uh, uh, I mean, who would sing it? Aunt May, because yeah. she's a wacky old lady. She would be in the background and singing while Miles does his training montage. Uh, but yeah. I felt the same we- thing. Like it, the the most convenient pep talk from his dad, and suddenly he is in control in a way that he has never been in the entire movie. As you brought it up, Zero to Hero, we need that over whatever. What what's up, Danger? Like, come on, man! Like, are, are people even trying with these titles anymore? The soundtrack in this movie is something else. I would like to withdraw all my criticisms to Zack Snyder's Needle Drops and move them all over to whoever was in charge of the soundtrack in this movie. Really sounded like they sampled the score of The Dark Knight in a few places. I kept like thinking I was gonna, I was noticing where the the overture was going, and then it would change. But it, it sounded like either they sampled it or just did just enough to not get a copyright infringement suit on their hands. So yeah, my note is just Miles isn't ready. Or is he? Which is basically what the movie tells you in about a three-minute span. <laughs> the site of the conclusion is a Spider-Man. Is this like a benefit dinner that Kingpin is hosting? They have all the waiters yeah. dressed like Spider-Man, and I guess it's because Spider-Man died. It's the, you got to do the nice thing. Mary Jane is attending uh, this dinner. What's the implication here? That she doesn't know that Kingpin is a criminal, or that she doesn't right? care? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Is like presumably she knew all about Peter's life because she married him. So therefore, she should know the bedtime talk. Like, hey, honey, how was your day? I don't know. Kingpin was being a fucking dick. Uh, <laughs> like, I hate this guy. I want him put away. And she's like, oh, that's cool. Well, when you die, I'm going to go ch- attend the charity event that he's throwing. Just because, you know. Yeah, I kept waiting for the reveal that, that oh, she was there with a purpose. That she was there because she was going to take Kingpin down on her own because she knew that he had killed Peter. But no, she's literally there just so that uh, loser Spider-Man can have a moment with her. Which, again... It's an emotional moment that's undercut with comedy. So you don't really get this this reunion between, you know, Peter Parker and Mary Jane from different realities. Uh, instead, it's just basically a really long joke about uh, a bread basket that never made it to Mary Jane's table. It's like, come on, man, don't be afraid of emotion. <laughs> just mm-hmm. embrace it. So the group of Spider-Men uh, infiltrate this thing just by posing as waiters and waitresses. Uh, we get the bizarro face-off of one dimension mary jane and other dimension peter parker which is probably borderline traumatizing for him but of course played off uh, for laughs the super collider it's time to get it running which i guess i don't know if this is happening under where the benefit is taking place but it's definitely close by they're firing it up uh we keep getting a bunch of shots like the watchman uh, both uh comic book and movie of just people looking on in terror in downtown New York City as these flashes of lights go off and impending doom is afoot. Kingpin is now in the full um, shit. Senator Palpatine phase. Of more! More! <laughs> Unlimited power is what he wants. It's blasting. They are using DNA elements now to start incorporating to attempt to bring his son and wife back to life. And it looks like it's going to happen. And then, you know, the, the Spider-Man brigade shows up. And this is, again, for the audience, it's like, well, the guy just wants his wife and child back. Is that so mm-hmm. wrong? Now that we're, like, all the way into the third act, the, the big climatic 
fucking 30 minute fight that ensues. This is where the, the animation, the, the CGI just goes out of control. This is, I, I know you referenced uh, epileptic fits earlier, Alex, but if if nothing else, like this moment is where it just, it's too much for anybody. I remember, and this was in theaters, it was in 3D. So can you imagine on top of all of that, they have imagine 3D that. glasses on. It's just, it's just bad. It's just, it stops making sense. They use the, the excuse of multiple realities kind of like opening up to just say, fuck it, do whatever you want. <laughs> To the animators, it it just it nothing looks. Uh, it's not even realistic, but like sensible on screen, and it just looks ugly. I mean, the the, the colors, yeah. the aesthetic has been pretty garish uh, throughout the entire movie, I think. But but here it's just you know it completely goes off the rails. Like you said, it's impossible to follow. Like I, I remember walking out of the theater being like, "What the fuck happened in that final act?" I, I have no idea. What do you like? Who anyone was? Like, did, are we sure that Kingpin won or, or, or lost? Or like, for all I know, they switched bodies. Like, what happened here? I, you couldn't even tell where they were standing half the time. What are they swinging from? I mean, they're just <laughs> the, the reality around them is just—it's nonsense. It's just like outer space, but with colors. I don't know. It's a fight to the death, uh, to the to the ultimate end. Shit, I'm trying to remember when John Cena told the WWE audience that Bin Laden had been killed. He was compromised <laughs> to an ultimate end, is I think the way he verbalized it. So I remember a, that moment. A, what a what a great moment in history. A great a, a great American moment from a great American. The the fight is on. Unfortunately, Penny Parker loses her robot companion in the process of this, but gets the spider out of it, so she still has the spirit of her father. I guess again, I think that's the the way it's laid out to take with her in back to her dimension. Miles shows up. He's got his new uniform there to you know he's got all his powers and he's uh harnessed them he's cognizant of everything going on he comes and helps clean house with everybody one by one sends everybody back to their own dimension noir spider-man takes a rubik's cube with him and has the line of i haven't figured this out but i will and then lastly it's peter b parker who's like are you sure you want to do this this type of thing and um in classic superhero movie form he recites dialogue back to him that he had said earlier in the movie uh, lets him go, and so now the showdown is just between Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Boy, Miles Morales, and Kingpin. Uh, Kingpin's family almost comes back here as everything's in chaos here with the Super Collider, and so they see him for a brief moment, but then they flee in terror. Is that kind of what happened? Maybe. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> no, no one knows. It's it's the final act of the movie where no one can tell what's happening. I yeah. Is it his imagination? Is it the ghosts of his of his family? Is it his real family from a different uh, reality? Can't tell. I mean, uh, fucking Doctor Octopus gets disposed here by a random bus hitting her or a train or something off to the side. So there really there, there's no rules. I can't follow the story anymore. You know, it's a somehow. Miles Morales' dad can see what's happening, even though he is somewhere else in the city. <laughs> he was not inside Kingpin's building. I don't know. Alex. Just being exposed to unforetold amounts of radiation. He's just like, <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> and Kingpin hits Miles with the same combo that put away Chris Pine at the beginning of the movie. And we think that's the end for Miles. But then uh, I guess the war on Spider-Man has the the tariff has been lifted here as uh, Jefferson's just like, come on, Spider-Man, get up. And, you know, the encouraging words of his father motivate Miles to get up and he gets his revenge or Kingpin puts him over is basically what happens. Sure. And uh, he saves the day and there's a new now, Spider-Man. Here's in my town. big problem with this. 
my big problem with this sequence is that it all takes this one guy cheering for him to to finally get the strength to do whatever he wants. I mean, in all the other versions, like Spider-Man like needs an entire bridge of New Yorkers to cheer him on, <laughs> throw trash at a villain for him to be able to do something. I mean, here, one guy, like, are you, are you really feeling, I, I, I get it's your dad, but like, are you really feeling like a superhero after your dad's like, come on, I believe in you, do it. Like, come on. Especially because he's already, he's been telling him that in a way. It's not like this was a bad father that suddenly shows him love at the very end. He's being a pretty cool dad the entire movie. So it's it, this wasn't a <laughs> yeah. surprise. It's not like Miles suddenly realizes that his father believes in him. I mean, he even like gave him a pep talk that, you know, the pep talk that gave him his the control over his power. So this is not a surprise. Man, they should have had the mom show up at least, you know, because she's barely spoken <laughs> since the beginning of the movie. <laughs> Just give her something and to half do. And it was in Spanish. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's the thing. Like, he needed to hear somebody cheering him on in Spanish. And that's where, you know, he really <laughs> got it together. In the end, what they're doing is just they're telling you that Miles is better. But even worse, like my bigger problem with this movie overall is that the, in the end, the message uh, that they've been kind of selling you from the very beginning, it's bad to be unique, that, uh, you know, individualism is 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 wrong, you know, because the whole message of the movie is like, oh, no, Spider-Man's not special. Anybody can be Spider-Man. I, I don't care for that sort of blanket statement because we're all different people when you say uh you know it's kind of like what was it, the thing that the what's syndrome's plan in the in the <laughs> incredibles like uh if everybody has powers and nobody's special or something like that yeah if if everybody's special no one is yeah exactly and it's like i'd rather live in a world and watch a story that pushes the narrative that everybody's special in their own way as opposed to a movie that says like oh anybody can achieve whatever they want because that's not true <laughs> you know Right. Like, he specifically says, you can be Spider-Man. It's like, bro, I'm not sitting here with a radioactive spider waiting to bite me at any moment. Like, that's not going to happen. What this movie does is it just dilutes the concept of Spider-Man. I mean, I don't want to harp on woke culture anymore, but, you know, it's just like, I'm sorry, we don't all need to be Spider-Man. It's okay for us to look up to Spider-Man. You know, that doesn't mean that you can't be special in your own way. Again, it's a a very uh, beloved property for me. So, of course, I'm going to react negatively to all this stuff. The day has been saved by the new Spider-Man. The town is not aghast so much as they are just jubilant that there's Spider-Man is back and they got their phones out taking pictures and Spider-Man now is good with Jefferson. He calls his son, they have a good back and forth and uh Spider-Man comes down, you know, he's Miles but he can't let Jefferson know that. He gives him a hug, heartwarming or something like that, I guess is what the <laughs> the feeling that we're supposed to feel here. That is that. He explains that I'm Spider-Man now, and they do like uh, the recap kind of of the movie we just watched. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> I, that's how much how much respect and appreciation they have for their audience's perceived attention spans. We have to recap the movie you just watched for you to make sure you don't walk out of this theater forgetting what you just saw. So that wraps it up there, and then we it's a marvel movie so you got to hang around and see what happens julio as i told you i hung around for the post credit scene and it's oscar isaac voicing shit what spider-man attire is that that's like from the future right in one of the future comics spider-man 2099 yep that's it there was also like an x-men 2099 right yeah it was a whole line there, there was a yeah. okay a whole line of 2099 comics that lasted a few years yeah and see we already had a hispanic spider-man Right, Miguel O'Hara, like, but he didn't have to kill Peter Parker to become Spider-Man. <laughs> he was his own guy. Right, he he let time just do it. Yeah, 
<laughs> he waited respectfully until Peter Parker was dead and buried. And then when there was no Spider-Man, he stepped up to the plate. Again, I don't know how much it worked for you, Alex. This, to me, was again, much like uh, Nicolas Cage, Spider-Man Noir. This hurt in the way that it teased me with a movie that was much better than the movie we received. I would have loved to see a movie where Oscar Isaac is Spider-Man 2099, and he travels to the past to team up with the Spider-Man from the 60s. Give me 90 minutes of that. I'll be happy. Yeah. That's not what we got. That was just like the last... 90 seconds of the movie and then we got to get the the meme humor that's that's where we are right now as a society for any type of art has to inject the internet humor that's why fucking snl's in the trash right now is because they're trying to keep up with the internet and just meme humor all the time so we get the spider-man 90 uh, 2099 comes down does the mirror image meme with spider-man and I guess for some people, this would be funny. But to me, like I said, when I see people trying to placate, you know, the TikTok crowd, it's just kind of like, I, I have no time for this. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> a new Spider-Man is born. Uh, as y'all had mentioned, there's going to be a sequel to this. So it looks like for better or for worse, uh, Miles Morales is here to stay. I shudder to think of what else they're going to do to poor Peter Parker to keep convincing us that Miles Morales is better. It's an improvement. You know, they won't let him rest. At the same time, if they make a Spider-Verse sequel without Peter Parker, that's also going to make me mad because it's just, mm-hmm. just call him something else. Invisible The human boy. spider. <laughs> the human spider. <laughs> the invisible spider. There you go. 97%. Was that justified? I think we're going to discuss that in the second half. So gentlemen, I'm ready if y'all are. Let's move on to real talk. Let's go. Kingpin knows we're coming. We're going to be outnumbered. Don't be so sure. You might need these. You think you're the only people who thought to come here? Hey, fellas. Is, is he in black and white? Where's that wind coming from? We're in a basement. Wherever I go, the wind follows. And the wind, it smells like rain. This could literally not get any weirder. It can get weirder. I just washed my hands. That's why they're wet. No other reason. You're You're like me. And we are back. But before we get into real talk, we're going to go through PP, our patron pitch. This is where we tell patrons what they can expect in our patron channel. And this is where we let non-patrons know what they could be listening to if they became patrons. If you go to patreon.com slash Prime, we have different tiers with different uh, bonus content. We'll give you access to the stuff that we cut out of each episode. We also have uh, bonus episodes this month. Uh, our patron-exclusive episode was picked by me, and it's about the movie Beautiful Girls. Uh, Alex and I will be discussing that sometime this month. We also get patrons to pick movies, our bonus episodes on the official feed. Uh, our bonus pick for the month of April is TBD at the moment. We are waiting on uh, KT and OT to tell us which movie to do. And then, of course, we have Contrarians After Hours. Which is where Alex and I tell each other and tell our patrons what else we've been doing. Uh, Alex... 
what are you going to be bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? Um, we just recorded the other day, Julio, so not too much has happened or changed in my life. I've been... Have I been busy this week? I don't remember. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, I did watch a movie called, a documentary, in fact, um, about a professional wrestler who I've always had uh, a fascination with. Dan, are you familiar with Vampiro? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There is a documentary titled Nail in the Coffin uh, about the life and times of one of the more fascinating and pretty much every bad way wrestlers out there. Um, it's actually a movie. It was on Amazon Prime, and it's now on Tubi for free. Uh, it's not like a, a company made it. It's not some production like that. It's a, a very well-made documentary um, that I will be discussing. And it's one of those, Julio, like you can watch. Like It's a documentary made for like normal people. Like You have to have no <laughs> prior knowledge of wrestling going into it. But I'll kind of get a little bit more into Vampiro, why it's fascinating to me, why it would be fascinating uh, to wrestling fans and non-wrestling fans alike. Well, I'm glad that you're, uh, you're bringing a documentary because this time I am not uh, on the bad side. I'm going to tell you about uh, the latest John Travolta movie that I watched. You probably didn't even know this existed, Alex, but it's called Trading Paint, where he plays... Uh, a racing driver from Alabama. Why not? <laughs> uh, and then uh, on the good side, I watched this movie, The Losers, which you might remember, both of you, maybe. It's based on a comic book. It stars uh, Chris Evans. Uh, yes. Zoe Zeldana and uh, the comedian. What's his name? Jeffrey D. Morgan. Yeah. I will tell you about that one, Alex. That one you'll probably end up watching if I if I do my job because it's, just over 90 minutes. So, good movie, The Losers, bad movie, Trade in Paint. I'm going to tell you about both of them. So that's what you guys can expect. Uh, like I said, go to patreon.com slash Prime. Take a look at tiers. See if there's anything that interests you uh, in case you want to uh, support our show and join the Contrarian Supplements. That's right. Our patrons, our wonderful patrons. We love y'all and welcome fresh ones, young and old alike. Uh, our tiers consist of $1, $3, $5, and $10. Of course, incrementally, they get you uh, more and more access to the things that we do. Um, let's see here. Cigarettes are expensive. So for the cheaper than the price of a pack of cigarettes, you can get all kinds. You can get the $3, $5 tier. You can get all kinds of information from us. For those that don't smoke, I don't know. What's something that everybody likes that is uh, rising in price? Fucking gallon of gas. You know. Yeah. Skip that trip to the liquor store. Just throw a dollar our way. Listen to some exclusive content, and tell us exactly you know what uh, what you want to hear from us. What movies you want us to cover? Once again, Patreon.com/slash Contrarian Prime, uh, and this is usually where we plug our livestream for the Cure promo. But we're gonna save that for the end of the episode since we have Dan Brennick himself, one of the people that's part of the live stream uh, with us. So stick around for that. First, we're going to go to Real Talk. All right. So, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, the Academy Award winner for Best Animated Feature Film, beating out Incredibles 2, Ralph Breaks the Internet, uh, Mir Mirai, and Isle of Dogs, Wes Anderson movie, which I have not seen, but based on my experience with Fantastic Mr. Fox, I would not be closed off to it. Again, released uh, holiday season time, December 14th of 2018. Uh, budget of $90 million. Box office return, a little under $376 million. 
approaching that $400 million mark has to be more than they projected. That's a huge fucking box office return. Mm-hmm. Um, I went into this back around blind and I was looking forward to doing so. I didn't do my customary research. And then even just when we were recording, I was kind of looking at some things, but it looks like I may have to revisit the actual making of this and some of the trivia that goes into it. Um, because again, having not seen this and not that, that wasn't a bit, I really just assumed this was somehow integrated with the rest of that Marvel bullshit. And, um, <laughs> so I kind of strayed away from it and knowing that it's not one, that's one thing. It makes it a much easier undertaking because as it's been discussed, the, those movies have gotten to the point where, you can't expect to just go and watch one as a one-off. So that you, you have to be familiar with it. So it's just like, that's that's how the whole project of our Endgame episode came to be. I had fallen. It had been so long since I had seen one, I basically just threw in the towel and said, I'm not going to do this. <laughs> and then Julio, of course, crafted a roadmap for me and made sense that way. Had I known that this was a one-off, I would have probably seen it much quicker, uh, much sooner, I should say. And if... The rest of those Marvel movies were like this, Julio. Like I was telling you, I would be way more open to watching them. This was just an absolutely great time. And no secret, Julio is the Spider-Man guy of the two of us. And it's from the sound of things, I think Dan's uh, even more in the spider camp than I am. Love Spider-Man, but it's it was never like the superhero that I invested mm-hmm. the most energy and time into. But like... I like the first and second Tobey Maguire ones, and um, it had been a while since uh, I really like Homecoming too. Was Homecoming before this? Yeah, I feel like Homecoming was 2017, but like this was probably written before then anyway, because animation takes way longer mm-hmm. to produce anyway. Yeah, especially with something like this. But um, that's my introduction. Again, just the customaries: Bob uh, Perichetti, Peter Ramsey, Rodney Rothman. Uh, directing this and then written by Phil Lord and Rodney Rothman. 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, Every inch of that earned. It really, you know, obviously it's a superhero movie, but with the way this was crafted, the the narrative, the the beats, and the... um, the, the presentation of it all, it really felt like almost like a Pixar movie. And I know Pixar is just wow. a studio. It's the directors and writers that craft this, but you know what you mean when you say a Pixar movie, the way you walk away from it, the, the, the level of quality that saying that entails, I think is what I'm trying to come across. There are all the really cliche beats of superhero movies that we covered, but the like it, what's comprising it is so good that it doesn't matter. You can be as cliche as you fucking want to be. If, what you're making is good. And that's the case with this movie. It's cliche, but it's great. Uh, and the story that's woven in between these like cliche beats and, um, you know, your classic stereotypes for superhero movies is so unique and new. So that was how I wanted to kick this off was my introduction and then ask y'all, was this an original story or is the spider verse like a comic or a series of comics within Spider-Man or is it, there is the spider verse, but this was a new take on it. I, I'm a blank slate coming into this, so give me some backstory. So, uh, there was an actual comic arc known as Spider-Verse, uh, and it is vastly different from this. Like, uh, basically, I don't know how much we want to get into this, but basically, like, the Spider-Men come together uh, to fight something else, but it's not Kingpin, and it's not, like, 
uh, a universe collider. It is, uh, there's this family of, I, I can't remember what they're, they even are, but they're like family of vampire hunters, like vampires <laughs> who like, uh, hate the spider people. So they're like slowly killing them off from like dimension to dimension, uh, up until all the spider people come together to fight them. Yes. They got like, uh, Peter Parker, you got Gwen Stacy, you got Miles Morales, you got spider punk, spider ham, uh, random, random fucking people. That are like they, they built Spider-Man characters for no reason to just make them in this thing, and like they're they're fun and that kind of stuff. And uh, like Spider Gwen got her own comic book. Like they they didn't call it Spider Woman because there's already a Spider Woman, so they just called her Spider Gwen. Uh, and she got her own comic book spinoff that went for four issues, and then they rebooted it after they did the Spider Verse thing. And I'm like, well, that was stupid. I wasted. <laughs> how much money on these four comics when you're you're changing her story immediately after Spider-Verse. Yeah, I remember just from the outside, it felt like, I mean, it could be well-written, I might enjoy it, but it didn't sound, kind of like what I said in Contreras Corner, like it didn't sound like a Spider-Man story, which didn't make me want to jump into it. That is, you know, a bias I have, and I know a bias that some people have, you know, Spider-Man is like street-level stories, you don't really, yep. you know, Alternate realities and all that stuff is for the Avengers. But that's it. I mean, Alex, there is, I guess, a bigger thing. And Dan and I were kind of talking about it off mic uh, in the break. But it's just that uh, Miles Morales, his introduction to comics, that is a different thing. You know, like they Marvel introduced him. They actually killed Peter Parker off to introduce him. But it was kind of like a separate line. Like Marvel had the uh, Ultimate Marvel line for a while, which was kind of like their own version it was like a, a a modern version of the marvel universe free of the 30 years of continuity baggage they just started everything <laughs> yeah. from scratch so they had <laughs> the marvel comics that spider-man had been running for like 30 years and so he no longer in the comics he no longer was a teenager he was an adult and he was married and uh you know he wasn't a high school student he was like a teacher or something you know he was he was an adult and so marvel felt that he was not somebody that kids could identify with the way that they did back in the 60s and 70s so then they launched this new line the ultimate line they start telling the peter parker story again from the beginning and so he's a teenager and mary jane is, te- is a teenager and he's meeting all his baddies for the first time and they do the same with the x-men as well and uh you know they had the ultimate x-men and it was kind of like again a retelling of the x-men story from the beginning and and so that went on for several years uh yeah and it was wildly successful basically what you had was like traditional spider-man comics with adult peter parker and then on the side you had you know the ultimate spider-man comics with the young peter parker yeah and it's in this line the ultimate spider-man line that at some point they just decided to kill off peter parker and replace him with miles morales I assume that was met well from the fans. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I I tried to kind of ape that with my whole Contrarian's Corner mm-hmm. thing. Like, that, that was the character I was kind of trying to play, basically. And, yeah, like, no, everyone was like, why are they making him a black guy? Why why are they killing off Peter Parker? And, like, Julia and I, and I were talking about it, and, like, I didn't care that they were bringing in a black character. That's fine. It's just like, why are you killing Peter Parker to do such a thing? Yeah, that was that was my reaction too. Like I, by then, I wasn't reading the the comics anymore. Uh, I'd kind of like falling off as much as I liked them. I, I, it was not part of my routine. And then I heard that oh, they're replacing uh, Spider Man. They're killing off Peter Parker, and it was just my reaction was negative 
much like Dan, it had nothing to do with uh, Miles Morales being Hispanic or being black or whatever. It was just the fact that they were killing the Peter Parker character, which seemed mm-hmm. kind of unnecessary and kind of like we said in in Contrarian's Corner, right? The joke of like, oh, well, you're only doing it so that Miles Morales doesn't have competition so that, you know, he can easily take over. So uh, I never really got into the character. And I, at some point, they just brought him over to the original comics. I mean, the ultimate line of comics doesn't exist anymore. But so that so that's a thing, you know, like Miles Morales, independent of, you know, all the other spider people that show up in this movie, Miles Morales kind of had... Uh, had a following and also had a lot of detractors. I don't know if if there's still people that are mad about his existence. Yeah, MAGA hats. Oh well, <laughs> they're just mad about everything. But yeah, uh, but it was cool. Like you know, when when they announced that they were doing Into the Spider Verse, uh, kind of like I alluded to it in in uh, Contrarian's Corner. My trepidation was that it was a, a Lord and Miller movie. And I thought it was just going to be something like the Lego movie and they were going to go really wacky. And they Man, do you a really got a, a grudge with the Lego movie. Dude, I, it's, <laughs> I, I don't want to get into it just yet, but the, the whole Aunt May thing that is so Lord and Miller in, in this movie. And yeah, uh, yeah. And you, you brought it up and I never really thought about that before. But yeah, like any kind of emotionality is almost immediately met with comedy. Like they don't want to actually like they bring up actual issues and then just like, ah, kids movies uh, can't talk about it here. <laughs> Meanwhile, Kingpin shoots like 100 people. <laughs> um, before before we, we go further, now that we've established somewhat where Miles Morales came from, uh, I have three rotten quotes that will help us further this discussion. I was going to say, we, we've set the table, so let's throw it over to the people that were uh, playing the actual contrary. We'll start with Brian Viner from Daily Mail UK, who says, A monumentally long Marvel animation, which is at least 30% less witty than everyone involved seems to think it is. Uh, and that's how I feel about the Lego movie. Like, I don't think that the Lego movie <laughs> is as clever as everybody that loves the Lego movie seems to think it is. Like, if everybody celebrated the Lego movie by saying, oh, it's a dumb comedy and it's funny, I'll be, like, probably okay with that. But now, in this case, I think that this movie is pretty clever. And I, I, I think that you guys are also on that boat. Yeah. Um, Nigel Andrews from Financial Times says, Never <laughs> did hyperkinesis seem so much like standstill. So much rush, so little panache. There's a guy from uh, the Financial Times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, movie. <laughs> uh, like I, I'm a financial guy, and I can tell you, finance people are like very boring. So like, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't trust this guy in terms of like his visual acuity. Yeah, uh, there is. I mean, for better or for worse, this movie commits to its aesthetic, and I, I do want to talk about it a little bit because I. It was different watching it now on on even though it was like on my big TV compared to watching it in theaters. And finally, I'm gonna close with just the the biggest of the Here we go. of the big the Armin White. Yes. Oh, is oh, it? Oh my. Yep. Armin Damn. White making his last name proud uh, from the National Review. He says, the temerity of retelling a Spider-Man tale by pandering to the non-white demographic and those who (laughs) flatter themselves for condescending to it reveals how brazen the media have become. So 
everything we were joking about, like our pretend positions in Contrarian's Corner, no, that's how Armin White feels like. You know he's uh, black. Of course. The mystery of whether Armin White is is it's you know is really like this or is he like an Andy Kaufman level of yeah. troll? Like we right will never know. <sighs> that that was published. Those were real words that someone was like, yeah, these are fine. Now excuse me, I'm gonna go vote for Trump. Well, yeah, especially considering he is a black dude. That's just like saying those things is just ridiculous. I have your opinion, f- free of race and everything like that, but it just. Um, for what this movie tries to accomplish, that's intentionally diminishing and ridiculous. So that's too bad. But that's Armin White. He's also the guy that trashed uh, Toy Story 3 for having too much commercialism. So there you go. <laughs> so so let's uh, let's get into the visual part of it. Just kind of like to get that out of the way, because I'm, you know, we, we kind of joked about it in Contrarian's Corner, the epileptic warnings and that which are a thing uh i mean i don't know how much you guys are aware of it um because alex i don't think we were doing this certainly not as frequently when you were working at the theater but working at the theater the last couple years at least it feels like every weekend we will get a warning that we need to post for a movie that's playing that weekend that has Mm -hmm. those you know warning there's a sequence or sequences that could trigger like epilepsy could trigger a seizure Uh, that's i don't remember how like common that was back when spider-verse came out but i would imagine if it didn't have the warning back then it would certainly have it now if it was re-released because there's a lot going on (laughs) on the screen and it's pretty loud and it's very you know relentless for the most part i like it but how, how do you guys feel about it uh for for me i could definitely tell it was a 3d movie with some of the sequences and whatnot uh but i like the backdrops and a lot of them look like drawings on paper which is cool and then after he's bitten mm-hmm. how a lot of the on-screen dynamic is like a comic book be it little dialogue boxes or like um when someone knocks on a door the knock knock or there's even a part like spider-man punches someone it's like pow or you know what have you um so that aesthetic i really like the really disjointed epileptic i am older so if i watch this in a completely dark room my eyes would probably hurt I, i doubt i'd have a seizure or anything like that but you know it's part of the game it's like uh I'm not going to fault the movie for that. It's like Blair Witch, like that whole thing about people got sick when they watched that uh, or, you know, any of those found footage movies. Um, People complain about it. Yeah, there you go. I'm realizing now this has nothing to do with anything, Dan, but me and Julio talked about Get Out for the Patreon the other day. I did not Mm -hmm. gripe about uh, that was my gripe of the movie. There was just use of the Bourne cam for no reason in it. And we know, <laughs> listeners will know the absolute contempt I have for the Bourne camera. So that was a quick injection. Point being, it's the movie. It's it's not the gimmick. It's just the way the movie's being presented. So like these found footage movies, sometimes that presentation is not going to work for you. I can see some people not liking it. Obviously, if you're prone to things like that, it's going to be no good. For me watching it, I got that it was part of it. I love the animation style. It just kind of added to the individuality and uniqueness of this movie that clearly separates it from the pack uh, of most major superhero motion pictures. So Dan, I guess the question comes down to you now. Do you share similar thoughts to this? Do you 
do you differ in any way on this? So as for, like I generally like the the aesthetic a lot, especially like when we get to the comic booky stuff. I'm like, uh, like you said, when it, when the spider bite happens and then all the comic book stuff starts popping up on the screen, I'm like, cool, I'm really enjoying this. Uh, I, I mentioned it in Contrarian's Corner. Uh, I don't feel that way as much now, having watched it, because I, I guess my TV was just better than the movie screen I watched it on, but. Like, I understood what was happening during the final fight for the most part. Like, yeah, there, there's random shit popping up on the screen. But, like, when I watched that in theaters, I just went, who approved this? Because, like, <laughs> I, I can't tell what the fuck is going on. Like, what happened in that in that sequence? And it actually mirrored my thoughts to Homecoming whenever they're on the plane at the end of the movie. Like, uh, apparently the projector in my theater was just so bad <laughs> that I couldn't tell what the fuck was happening during that sequence either. So, like, having watched that, I was just like, who thought all these colors and all this insanity going on uh, was a good idea? And I watch it now, and I'm like, oh, it's nowhere near as bad. So it was just clearly my theater being garbage, uh, where, you know, they didn't care, or, like, the projector wasn't in focus or whatever. I don't know, but like now I I am more forgiving of it. So like I don't mind it, uh, especially like when we get shots of all of them, all, like all the spider people on camera. I mean, you have Miles, Gwen, and Peter all looking the same, but like Spider Man Noir is a different art style. Uh, Peter Porker is a, a, a different art style. Penny Parker is a different art style. Like and having all all of those different art styles on the same screen is impressive. Did you watch it in three D? I did not. I don't watch good anything. Man. The, the last here. movie I think I watched in 3D was like Avatar. Yeah, that's good, man. Uh, yeah, this movie, uh, those colors and everything about it are, are made for fucking film, but that's not a discussion people want to have anymore. So, uh, yeah, at home through a good HDMI cord, that, that's kind of what this is made for. But, yeah, the different animation styles. And before I forget, because you brought up Peter Porker and Spider-Ham, um, I think, you know, I made a point in Contrarian's Corner to call out this is where the movie kind of derails. And I think the introduction of that just shows is such a cool, like, we've told this pretty, not melancholic, but serious story so far about death and loss and whatnot. But we're still just here to have a good time. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah, I had a boisterous reaction to the just incredulous delivery of... That's all, folks, at the end when he starts getting lifted out into his universe. I thought that was just absolutely perfect. Um, Can he legally say that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you did you recognize uh, Mulaney's voice right away, Alex? Or did you know that he was he had, in it? He has a very, very distinctive voice, so that was pretty easy to pick up on. Kind of like Nicolas Cage, who I guess since we're talking about these side characters now, the different animation styles was great it really felt like a a roger rabbit type thing of this just mishmash and it always kind of plays tricks on your eyes especially in an animated movie when you're watching it and then these different characters in the movie are coming from a different style altogether the noir spider-man ruled nicholas cage like his delivery of some of that shit was hilarious <laughs> uh when they're fighting at uh, aunt may's house and like the bad guys show up he says um we don't pick the ballroom. We just dance. And then when like <laughs> when he's explaining his character traits, he has that line about sometimes I light a match and let it burn down just to feel something. <laughs> it's it's fucking great. Um, yeah, I, I had 
no idea of any of that. I guess that shows how detached I am from a lot of the modern film ether. Uh, but this was all like fresh for me. Dan, I was telling Julio, I watched Get Out the other night for the first time, mm. completely unspoiled. Like I didn't know anything that really happened. Oh my! Yeah. So that's how detached I am from modern stuff. And with this, it's kind of just like I said, I have this idea of what most shit looks like nowadays. So when I see something like this and it's completely not at all in line with what I think, it's very, very refreshing. And um, it completely bucks that trend of like loading up animated movies with known actors and actresses because that has led to many disasters like... um, Delgo and I think even <laughs> ants like that was one that was completely loaded with uh, celebrities but I think it it didn't do that well at the box office something was up with that movie that didn't go according to plan my point is this is um, a star-studded cast like top to bottom from an uh, voice acting like a-listers and it doesn't rest on that laurel at all. It still delivers like a good movie. It's like, yeah, we might have gotten you here with some of the players involved, but we're still going to give you something great. Which, yeah, animated movies can sometimes just be lazy messes, and uh, this is not one of those. And the people that the A-listers that were brought in definitely gave their all and uh, added to the like unique um, delivery of each individual character. I don't know. I'm I'm just like over the moon about this, as you guys can tell. It's uh, <laughs> it was completely, yeah. Like I, I said, coming into it thinking that I had to have all this prior knowledge, and then just it being delivered what it was. I could definitely mm-hmm. see, like uh, you were talking about and explaining with the comics, that I could see just idiotic, um, insecure white men fans of it being really off put by a lot of the shit that happens in this. But I thought Catherine Hahn being doc Ock was fucking awesome. Like I, <laughs> yeah. when like her arms the, came out and like when she said her name, I was like, Oh shit. Surprised me. Yeah. Julio, I guess me and Dan have been doing the lion's share of this. What, uh, <laughs> as a big Spider-Man person, where does this movie sit for you? I hated it. No, uh, <laughs> I liked it a lot. When I watched it the first time, and I liked it a lot this time, it's it's funny because nothing has changed. Like the, I have some minor issues, uh, and they have remained the same. Like things that I liked, I still like, and things that I the minor things I don't like, I still don't like. But rewatching it last night, it was uh, it was pretty magical. You know, it's just one of those things where like when a movie's just working, it's it's just like the way they were mm-hmm. handling everything. I'm a big Jake Johnson fan. I don't know. Uh, how many if you guys like him i i know i think he's really funny in in new girl uh and uh i, I don't know out. well enough to make a call i mean what else is he and i don't think he's in anything else that you would have like that i would recommend like oh watch this so that you know yeah I, i've seen him in a few things and the my big problem with jake johnson is that he just plays jake johnson and i I don't like that when you're just like, I had known him from, I, and I've only watched a little bit of new girl. So like, I know him very rare, like sparingly. And I just assume like, Hey, this is some new guy to Hollywood that is already just playing himself and shit. What a lazy actor. And so I hated him for that. So see, the thing is, I think the key thing is, do you find Jake Johnson funny? Which I do. I, th- I think that he's really funny. So I don't mind if he just plays the same Jake Johnson character 
in everything he does because sure. as long as he makes me laugh, you know, we're good. And so this was Jake Johnson playing Spider-Man and he's he's funny. So I'm down with that. Like even if you don't like him in anything else, how do you feel about his performance as as schlubby Peter Parker? Oh, I think it's great because it's playing to Jake Johnson's strengths of being like <laughs> snarky kind of asshole guy but also a bit sorry for himself yeah schlub with a heart of gold yeah the problem is chris pine comes before him and there's nowhere to go but down when you have chris pine in the equation i mean he's he's good but to me that the heart of the movie is peter b parker um Mm -hmm. that's like i was telling dan right before we we started recording like I have no investment or no previous emotional connection to Miles Morales. You know, like he, mm-hmm. when he was introduced to the comics, I was already on the outside and I never really read any of his, his comics. So I'm aware of his existence and I welcome it. Cause I, I think it's cool to have a Spider-Man that's not, you know, just he's I, I don't find him threatening as a replacement, you know, to Peter Parker. And it's like, if you right. want to have a, a, a black Hispanic Spider-Man, Go for it. That's cool. As long as he's well written, uh, you know, just don't kill Peter. <laughs> but, right. but but that's the thing. My my connection to the Spider Man mythology is Peter Parker, and so this when this story goes to uh, show you a Peter Parker that's kind of like fallen from grace. That was really my my main investment. I wanted Miles yeah. to figure shit out. I wanted Miles to become a superhero and connect with his father and live up to you know, his potential. But what I really wanted was for Peter B. Parker to get his shit together and, and really come out of this, uh, a better person to, you know, and so, uh, Jake Johnson nailed that tone for me because he's funny, but like, he, like you said, he's really good at being self-deprecating and, um, just coming across as a sad sack. that's also charming. So to me, that was perfect casting. And it was kind of like out of the box casting, you know, it's like, he, he is, uh, I mean, he's well known, I guess, compared to no name actors, but he's not Chris Pine. He's not Nicolas Cage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. But they still gave him, like, you know, the, the second biggest role in the movie. So that was pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's things about his character, like him wearing the sweatpants uh, <laughs> at first with his outfit. I thought that was really fucking funny. And uh, yeah, I, I don't have enough experience with him to really make a, a judgment call on it but I do know that I I did enjoy him in the role very sarcastic and witty and that line at the end where he tells uh Miles I'm pro- so proud of you and then he has that moment where he goes do I want kids <laughs> that, I thought that was really good yeah I agree with all that and like I said it's it's a very good balance of I guess that, that I hadn't even thought of that that he wouldn't have been a name of any value at the time because it seems like when did What's the name of that show with Zoe Deschanel? New, New Girl. Girl. New Girl. When did that take off? My girlfriend did an episode on this, and I'm going to be, <laughs> if she hears this, she's going to be very mad. Uh, I want to say 2011. Okay. So, yeah, I thought he would have been a, a name of some value at that point. But to your point, he's not the Leave Schreiber or, uh, you know, Nicolas Cage or anything like that. But He's, he's closer yeah. to John Mulaney's uh, status. Dude. Okay, I'll take that. You know what it is? Uh, I was stumbling through my words talking about some, um, and I had to look it up. I can't find what the thing with ants is. For some reason in my head, it always had some sort of negative connotation to it because it doesn't look like it bombed. It looked like it had a $100 million budget and made 170 so it made everything back. But um, 
Delgo and some of those movies where they really load up casts and it can sometimes lead to a bit uh, questionable outcome. Uh, this was probably since like Wreck It Ralph, the most loaded voice cast in a movie that I went into that I was like the most surprised and pleased with, with the performances that came out of it. Cause we've talked about this before Julio and Dan, I'm sure you, you understand what I mean when I say this is um, just cause you're a good actor doesn't mean you can be a good voice actor and vice versa. Like there's a, a reason like Kevin Conroy is one of the most famous cartoon voice actors of yep. my lifetime, but has never made, you know, the departed or something like that. Um, <laughs> So just having an actor do voice acting it doesn't mean it's going to translate well. And for the things you're saying here, the roles and the way these characters were written and the people they chose for them, you can tell there was a way bigger thought process that went into that other than just we need X person to do a voice in this movie. Because um, the thing you're right. saying about this, Jake Johnson. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, he nails that sharp and self-deprecating humor and then you know Nicolas Cage with the old timey speaking and John Mulaney with the just absolutely absurd dialogue that he's giving and the the way he delivers it with that shrill nasally voice that he has going and then fucking Lily Tomlin with this calming presence which um, <laughs> that she you come to expect from it but that's all you know the parts behind the animation we've talked about the animation we've talked about the uh, the voice acting in it. The actual story of this is awesome because it is, um, and not to move on too quick, Leif Schreiber, we're all in agreement, awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could barely recognize him. And, yeah. and that to me is the, the mark of a good vocal performance is when you can barely recognize somebody. Like Troy Baker, for instance. I know what Troy Baker sounds like, but in The Last of Us, uh, if, if like holding up Joel... To every single other one of his voice roles, I would have been like, who the fuck is that guy? Uh, in the special features, I, I was telling Dan earlier that I watched some of the special features on the Blu-ray. And uh, they had, when they're talking to Liv Schreiber about playing the Kingpin, he said, and he might have been kidding, I don't know. But he said that he stuffed toilet paper up his nostrils because in his mind, the Kingpin is a brawler, so he would have a broken nose. And... Uh, that affected his performance. So I wouldn't have recognized his voice. I don't know if it's because he has shit up his nose or because you know he was just <laughs> distorting it so much. But either way, I, I, I liked it a lot. And uh, and also we were, again, just off mic, we were talking about, uh, oh God, what's his name? Uh, Shamik Moore. Shamik Moore, which I don't know from anything. But, you know, Dan's a big fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, he was on, he was in The Get Down on Netflix. He was also in another movie called let it snow uh which we did for a christmas episode which uh i mean like he's a nice guy like from what i've experienced like he at least ex like exhibits like some sort of humbleness because like i've tagged him in tweets before he's liked it he's retweeted them like he at least seems like willing to interact even at like the most basic level with somebody like he he's a nice guy and like i like a lot of what he does uh in this movie but also in other performances too yeah, it, it the the little bits like of interviews that they had with him, and then they had uh, footage of him just recording his lines, and uh, he seemed, you know, again, it's not that oh well, you know, these people are just playing themselves, you know, as far as like Jake Johnson and and Shamik Moore, but they certainly seemed really well cast 
you know you right it, it's mm-hmm. that combination of like who they are off screen and what persona they project on screen even if it's just their voice and it's just it's such a good match and uh you know he has in a way that, that i guess the hardest job because he has to endear you to miles and he had you know he has to walk that line of like well he has to be funny but he also has to be vulnerable but he also has to be kind of like he has to be a teenager who's just like alex was saying contreras corner like that's the, like the worst time of your life because <laughs> you're like just such a, a mess of contradictions so uh and he pulls it off so that's 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 awesome i i really wouldn't as much as i love jake johnson's performance and everybody else's i mean you, you gotta give uh should make more props because in the end he carries the movie and he's right. the lead absolutely um yeah, what I was moving on to next, so we talked about the animation, the the parts, the players behind it, uh, but the actual story of this is is great, and it's not just the, you know, the idea, the the multiverse, all that shit. That's a lot of fun. There's a lot of different things you can do that do with that. A lot of ways you can play around with the story. But like I was saying, the the motivation of Kingpin in this movie is extremely real and. I, I mean, I know they try to do that with a lot of the more modern superhero movies of. Oh, the bad guys' motivations are really something that we can all relate to and that type of shit. But here, um, what I really like about it is it's his motivation. He never specifically calls it out. It's just told very briefly in a flashback, mm. which is awesome. And then it's almost like a blink and you'll miss it thing because it's not this long, drawn-out set piece. It's maybe like a 30-second flashback that he has. Like a horrible time to go get a fucking soda or go to the bathroom <laughs> during this movie. But... Um, so it makes it sympathetic, but he's also just such an evil person that it, it adds a very interesting wrinkle to the story. And then the dynamic of the you know Miles with his dad, but also his uncle, and the whole thing with their family. And um, it's yeah, I, I, I'm telling you all this, and you guys have watched this movie several times since it came out. But it, this is just me talking to y'all after my first time watching it, and all the things I really took away from it and enjoyed. It seemed like. A simple, fun superhero movie, a super simple Spider-Man story, but with a bunch of really good wrinkles thrown in that make it, uh, it doesn't at any point drag. You know, it's a movie that's almost two hours long, but because of everything that's in it and all these parts that I'm talking about here, it feels so well paced and, um, man, for me, it is super hard for these superhero movies to feel, you know, like something's happening in every scene when they approach a two hour territory. That's really where I was with this because it, there's just so much to keep your attention and so many different twists and turns, hard rights at certain times. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, to me, like its biggest accomplishment or one of its biggest accomplishments story-wise is that it actually, it builds a pretty good case for what I think many people would have been uh, concerned about. You know, I mean, take away like the racism you know, if you're like mad about Miles Morales because you don't like, you know, Hispanic people, you don't like black people, well, that's a separate problem. But if you feel yeah. that introducing all these characters, introducing multiple Spider people, is going to take away from the uh, from what makes Spider Man special, I think that this movie ends up building up a pretty solid case that no, that's okay, you can do it, and it's still going to be fun and emotional mm-hmm. and and interesting. Uh, and then it goes further, and you know, it's this whole thesis about like, I mean, we made fun of it in Contreras Corner, you know, like the whole like anyone can be Spider Man, anybody can be a hero, and all that stuff. But the way that the movie puts it, it's it's actually I find it pretty uh, uh, heartwarming, you know, it's just that 
the way that they use it's a way that I haven't seen Spider-Man used uh, in most of his stories because you know you usually they sell Spider-Man as the everyman but it's very rare that you see him used as an inspirational figure and then the fact that they take that and they use him as like well yeah he is the everyman therefore you know his strength is not that he has superpowers that helps but his strength is that he doesn't give up and he does the right thing and anybody can mm. do that you know it's right. like the entire movie builds to that it's uh I, I i really like that and i really like just the on a more geeky side i i like the what they did with the alternate realities like they just gave you enough you know they didn't get lost yeah. in the weeds of multiple realities they gave you just enough of each character like i love that uh takes like a couple minutes but they establish how is it that gwen is a very different character than peter parker mm-hmm. but you know they have the similarities like they have the tragedy in her world it's her best friend that gets killed and her best friend happens to be peter parker she is obviously more outgoing because she's she's a drummer in a rock band mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh She's but she's nerdy, just like the other Spider-Man, you know. And and then uh, Penny is also like you know she has tragedy in her life, but it's like, a, but she is a she's also like really nerdy and a brainiac like the other Spider-Man. It's the balance that they find in all these elements. I think that's that's where the movie succeeds a lot. Uh, now that said, I'm gonna. This is the last my last word on Aunt May. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like what they did with the anime character. And uh, that's one of the few moments where the movie loses me. I think that, uh, you know, like we were saying, uh, I think they they sacrifice emotion for the joke. And -hmm. the joke is the joke that I've seen so many times. The the one moment that I groaned in the movie theaters and I groaned last night when I was watching the movie is when she kicks that door open. And I was like, really? Like the, the... the gag, the visual gag of seeing an old lady kicking a door open, it's just, this movie is so above that, and yet it stoops to that level at that moment. Uh, it also has that moment that when uh, all the bad guys show up at Aunt May's house, and uh, and she calls uh, Doc Ock Liv, and I was like, you don't yeah. need to try so hard to sell her as as like this cool older lady, but they have that moment, and it just, it bothers me. I know it's just like me nitpicking, but there's there's just like those few moments where I feel and I keep saying uh, Lord and Miller, but it could have been somebody else's idea, and they just you know it, somebody one of the many people involved in the movie implemented it. But you know I I do feel that sometimes they are a little too much on the side of comedy and take go away from the from the emotion. Like there's that also very emotional moment where all the Spider people are in Miles's room and they're all basically sharing their own tragedies and kind of like telling him we all know what you're going through and then that gets interrupted so we can have some funny stuff with the roommate you know so Mm. that it doesn't ruin the movie for me but it just it irritates me a little more than than it should i guess in a lesser movie because i'm like you you could have been perfect (laughs) and you couldn't help yourself that kind of is my thoughts on the whole storyline with the the dad that wants to kill Spider-Man and then just kind of abandons that really quick, which like I, I get it. It's a movie and they just need to tie shit up. But it was like it's that moment where like the ominous music kicks in and he's like, put out an APB on Spider-Man. He's like, right. oh, shit, he's going to shoot his own son or some crazy shit like that. But then it just kind of in the end, he's like, let's go, Spidey, which is fine. But yeah, since we're talking about how I felt about a certain aspect of it, that's what I was like, oh, OK. Yeah. 
And, and I mean, like, I didn't really have a problem with either of those things. I just went, oh, yeah, it's a movie. But then, like, hearing Julio constantly <laughs> prattle on about Lord and Miller and how they sacrifice actual character development for comedy. Yeah, you're right. Like, the, the whole Aunt May thing. Like, Peter's having this really emotional moment where it's like, oh, my aunt's alive in front of me. And she's just like, you got fat. <laughs> like oh okay, <laughs> fine, whatever. Uh, it's, you know, like that stuff. Like yeah, it, it, if it's every now and then, it works, and like it, it's a nice change of pace. But when it's every single time that there's an emotional moment, I mean, with the exception of like Jefferson coming to the door and like giving Miles that inspirational speech mm-hmm. for him to yeah. do his thing, like that's the one time it resonates, and then it actually feels like a powerful moment. And then you see like that whole montage that happens afterwards, and that's like the best part of the fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, it it looks so good too. Um, yeah, like I like you could take any still from him jumping off that building and make it your like a poster on your wall. That's how good that looks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am giving it four and a half stars. Dan, what uh, what do you measure on? I do the I- letter scale. Julio does stars. I also do stars, uh, mainly because that's what Netflix used to do, uh, and the thumbs-up system is stupid. So uh, I'm going four. I- I'm notoriously much harder greater than most other people. But like, I-, I-, I really downgraded the movie based off of that final act where it's just like visual noise. And-, and now seeing it again and being like, oh, I actually can see this. I just blame everything else, every other setup that I was on. <laughs> before for my my lack of visual clarity but julio does bring up a lot of good points about the the lack of non-comedy like they they always take the cheap way out instead of you know taking a little bit more time to develop like yeah we're two hours and you know kids are probably standing up in the aisles throwing popcorn at each other because like you know (laughs) oh shit a character moment uh who cares but like for me, I, I just want something a little bit more. Like, there's a little bit more depth you can pull out of these characters, and they just didn't go that small extra step. Julio is leading his revolt against Lord and Miller, and he will not be satisfied <laughs> until they have been ended. Uh, he's just mad because the Lego movie is so fun and enchanting. Uh, I mean, some of the things Julio said uh, I agree with. To a certain point, though, they don't resonate as hard with me because I'm not quite to the level he is. That being said, some of the like the thing with the dad and some of the things I called out were a bit too uh, just. I was able to just kind of brush them off, but they still were enough of a, a gap for me to take note of. I'm gonna give it a B plus. I really enjoyed it, and during some of this recording, I've been on Amazon looking to see what my options are for purchasing this. So <laughs> uh, the last thing I wanted to call out as we. Uh, go home here is I had a very strange reaction to the Stanley cameo in that when he said uh, I'm really going to miss that guy or miss this guy or something I -hmm. didn't like it wasn't like a burst weep or anything but like I immediately like had that feeling where your chest tightens up and you well up a little bit just like the delivery of it and seeing him animated like that and knowing that this was like his his last cameo that they had uh that i you know it's um 
fate maybe or whatever way you want to look at it that that was kind of one of his last lines that he recorded for one of the movies from something that he started i thought that that was just awesome and not not something they could have really predicted i don't think but the way it played out was great um i agree a hundred percent alex and i i got choked up too and then they undercut it with the stupid no refunds joke which is which is funny (laughs) But it, but it takes away from the moment, you know. It's like you have such a perfect moment. You have Stan Lee talking, kind of referencing the death of his most beloved character, saying it to a kid that's going to become the next Spider-Man. He tells him, "You grow into it." You know, it's so perfect, and it's like they can't help themselves, and they have to be like, "Haha!" But also, look, it's funny. It's like. I know it's just like a very personal thing. And I, like I said, I love that scene, but it's also a good example of like my very, very minor problems with the movie. <laughs> See, I'm more forgiving of that because that typically like the comedic little cameos are exactly what Stan Lee was doing. Like, That's yeah, true. like there's the meta-ness of that being Stan Lee's like final cameo, like the, the, the first cameo after he, he had just passed. But like, that's not intentional. Like they didn't—they didn't mean it to be like, "Hey, I'm Stanley and I'm dead now." Like, <laughs> like yeah, they have the tribute at the end, but like, yeah, it's a nice moment. But because, but we—it's only a nice moment because there's the meta ness to it. Like it, it's not the movie's fault that it decided to continue. You know, have that beat and then like you'll grow into it and then beat and then comedic moment. Like I was fine with it there. I, like, I think well I get choked up honestly not because of the of the fact that Stanley's dead. I mean that's that adds to it, but it's just the the sentiment of you know, yeah, you don't feel it's just what's really happening on the screen, which is like this kid doesn't feel like he can live up to it. And then the man who created the character, so in that sense, I guess it's meta, the man who created sure. the character is telling him, Oh, don't worry about it. It's gonna work out. You just kinda have to, you know, get used to it. So that's that's to me is cool. And I think a lot of it is just has to it's very personal, you know, the I understand, Alex, that it doesn't bother you as much uh, because, uh, like you said, like I'm a bigger Spider-Man fan. Therefore, mm-hmm. when it gets to a moment, that moment between Peter and Aunt May, I'm like, I live for that. You know, that's like a big moment, not just for the characters, but for me. I want to see these two characters and uh, that I have history with interact, and then I feel cheated when you know it doesn't go the way I want to. So, so it obviously. The reasons why I love this movie is also the reasons why it pisses me off sometimes. Yeah. But again, you know, very rarely. So it's it's still four and a half. Across the board, high praise for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse one day. South by Southwest or what have you a few years from now when, I don't know, whatever we're the closest thing to normalcy we are. Lord and Miller will have a Q&A and Julio will stand up. And- <laughs> why are you the way that you are? <laughs> Who do you think you are? <laughs> have a two-part question. <laughs> I have a question. How dare you? Uh, so that is into the Spider Verse, uh, Julio. What is our next episode? I know we've got a special event coming up, but what is going to be next in the Contrarians Canon? Well, uh, next is TBD because next is our our bonus episode that uh, Katie and Ot get to pick as patrons, and uh, they haven't okay. told me yet. Uh, but like you said, before that happens, we have the live stream for The Cure. And uh, instead of playing the live stream for The Cure promo one last time, what we're going to do is we're going to talk to one of the live stream for The Cure guys who's right here with us. 
I mean, I'm I'm very bad at self-promotion. Anybody who listens to my show knows that. But uh, Livestream for the Cure, or as I have lovingly referred to it as Fivestream, because it's the fifth annual version of this, this event, uh, we are aiming to raise $15,000 for cancer research uh, through the Cancer Research Institute. Uh, May 19th through the 23rd, I think that's I think that's right. I have to check my calendar. 23rd, yes. Uh, it Nick is now promoting his like 60 hours of live stream content because he's a psychopath. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. That's like I work 40 hours a week, uh, so I'm working uh, one and a half weeks in a weekend. So that's that's gonna be awesome. But no, uh, it, it's a lot of fun. We get to hang out with a lot of fun podcasters and all for a good cause of you know eradicating cancer. Yeah, if if any of you have been to you know taking part of the live stream for the cure before, it's it's his fifth year, uh, and odds are that uh, if you listen to our show or listen to Dan's show, there's a good chance that uh, you've either checked out the event at some point or you have listened to our segments after the fact uh but it's it's always a lot of fun uh contrarians wise our segment is may 22nd at 4 p.m eastern standard time and like we announced in the last episode we're going to be talking about the happening m night Shyamalan's masterpiece <laughs> so sure man I'm, i've just like started to realize i'm gonna have to watch that again this will be our third year with uh, doing the live stream for the cure, and it's always a great time. So, really looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll probably do something similar to what we did last year, where we'll have uh, you know different tier rewards. So, if we raise this much money, we'll do this on the show, and so on. I mean, that strategy landed us the the very painful arc that we just finished of uh, sexy '90s thrillers. Man, we're gonna have to aim for something more. Uh, mentally healthy for us in terms of just finding movies that maybe do like M night movies that are good. Kind of something like that. We'll, we'll, fi- we'll figure something out. Uh, but check out the, not just our segment, but everybody's just pop in. That's it's really, I love the idea that, you know, for an entire weekend, you can kind of like go about your life and then kind of like check in and see, like you can have the, the, the live stream running in the background and, you know, just pop in and check what's going on that's that's mm-hmm. my plan at least even if all you do is just be there uh, you're just there kind of interacting with the with whoever's having their segment that helps a lot because it uh doing it live is exhausting <laughs> yes and i we always like we do it for an hour and we and i'm ready for a nap right after and the thought of you guys just doing it non-stop is uh staggering so I I know Nick and he's gonna eventually do uh, live stream month and I'm going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be there anyway. Uh, but uh, that's that's it. And now before we head out of here, Dan Brennick, what else do you want to plug? Well, uh, we started a new venture. Uh, with myself, Caleb, and our idiot friend Bill. Uh, it's called Stacking Triggers, a Magic the Gathering podcast. Uh, we talk about Magic oh the Gathering cards. Because this yes. episode is not nerdy enough. Yeah, if you think we could get any more nerdy, uh, yeah, we, we, we have a whole thing. It's We're at 10 episodes now. Uh, we I don't know. It, it's a fun time. We mostly yell at Bill. So, I, I mean, join us in our reverie of making fun of one of our friends. And there you have it. <laughs> Link in description. 
Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's we're idiots. It's like Netflix and Swill, but for Magic the Gathering cards. So if you hate that show, you're gonna hate this show too. <laughs> Outstanding. All right, Alex. Now, now take us out of here. All right, with our perennial plugs, we want to start off, uh, as always, by thanking the Festive Years. They give us our dandy opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand. Take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Rodiser, you know what? He, he strikes me as the kind of person that would play Magic. It's, it's the kind of thing that I'm sure it's one of his many talents, along with... Uh, having podcasts uh, in Spanish and writing zombie novels. Uh, he probably plays Magic as well. I'm going to have to check with him. Uh, but yeah, he did our logo. He did all the graphics on our webpage, on our Patreon page, on our upcoming merch. Uh, he is very talented. You can reach him on Twitter at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S. Uh, his website is Mildemonios.pe. You can email him Mildemonios at Hotmail.com. You can tell him how much you like his latest zombie novel. Uh, which is called Zombo Zombies, an anthology about zombie stories all over the Peruvian territory. Or you can tell him that you love his podcast, Nacion Combi, which is about Peruvian current events, and uh, Marginal, which is about economy. Thank you, Hans, for all your support. Absolutely. And lastly, we like to thank Zoe Perez for helping out with our social media game, making it all pretty and presentable. If you haven't already, be sure to head over to Instagram and follow us at Contrarian Prime. Also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Contrarian Prime. Uh, most of the work you're going to see there does come from Miss Zoe Perez, so we do greatly appreciate it. Everything she does for us. That's going to do it for Into the Spider-Verse. Dan, we greatly appreciate you taking the time to be with us this evening. Uh, Julio, as always, a pleasure, my friend. Uh, for now, that's going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time. Say bye, Dan. Uh, goodbye, everybody. But even so, I'm